previously on the Project Umbrella podcast. I can't believe you said that about our game. I mean, after, after many sessions on the therapist couch, I've come to terms with the fact that not every Resident Evil release is going to be a survival horror game. Is it better than Umbrella Court? Yeah. Is it better than Orc? Yes. Is it better than Outbreak? No. I'd be more interested to see what the French think about it too. No one asked this question when coloured shafts of light emerged from Ganado corpses in Resident Evil 4. Hui, hui, hui. Better do things myself, yo. <laughs> Just be quiet, you idiot! What is this motherfucking piece of shit? <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 56 of the Project Umbrella podcast, leading the way in changing the world view on biohazard. We've sent Mr. Spencer to talk at the UN. How dare we? I'm Nick, better known as Neptune, leading our escape of the city. Let's see who's joining us today. His arch nemesis has recently been causing all sorts of a stir online with the new film The Joker. It's the Batman. Good evening. He was recently banned from entering all government buildings as he started indiscriminately smashing CCTV cameras. It stars Tyrant. Hello. Ever wanted to know what a T-virus outbreak would be like in New Zealand? Well, just watch the All Blacks hacker in rugby. It's Rumby. What does that mean? I don't know. Why? I'm running very low on New Zealand base. God, yeah. Farrell's <laughs> <laughs> been firmly scrapped, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And finally, he's just upgraded his internet, he gets lost around the Discord, but somehow is a world-leading architect. It's George Trevor. Good evening, everyone. Hi. Coming up in today's podcast, we are going to be looking at retrospectively back at Resident Evil 3, a game 20 years old, and obviously we're celebrating here at the Project Umbrella podcast for what is, some would say, the pinnacle of the PlayStation trilogy. So rather than doing the uh, review of the game, we're going to be looking at our individual playthroughs and commenting on them accordingly. What we chose for the live selections, which particular route, because there is some uh, diversions you can take, and our particular experiences going through how we cope with the Nemesis, Gravedigger, POWs, uh, encounters with characters like Nikolai, etc., etc. We've also got the news, and we're finishing off with another edition of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. So, first up is the news. So first bit of news, Resident Evil 7, the VR walkthrough experience is out now in Japan. You can experience it. Once again, Japanese getting all the cool things that we do not. That's trailer was shown, which you can see on YouTube, uh, showed Jack and evidence of the mould, but looking a bit rough around the edges, I think we'd all agree. Indeed, yeah. It doesn't even look as good as uh, the PlayStation 4's VR experience for Resident Evil 7, so it's interesting to see how it's going to translate to an arcade experience. Um, they've also um, stretched in the um, VR thing as part of the title. 
Absolutely, yeah. I think you know <laughs> we're all in favour of highlighting the R and the E, but we we are we are stretching it somewhat with half a letter to make a V and <laughs> whatever it's doing. It's so uh, yeah, half a W is it to make the V? Yeah, but we'll keep an eye. On that. I mean, you know, it's always. It's always nice if things like that can come to the West, even if it's just a little freebie download on um, on PlayStation 4 or PlayStation 5. That would be good. Uh, so that's uh, something to keep an eye out. There's probably going to be some videos uh, on YouTube as well about, you know, doing the, the walkthrough, because I think Valiant Raid's been... You can watch that walkthrough by someone, and that looks really poor <laughs> as well, <laughs> which is a shame, because I think the concept's quite cool. The second bit of live-action experience, if you like, is uh, in Hong Kong, uh, with another Resident Evil experience running from October the 10th to January the 10th. They have what's called Resident Evil 2 Infected. This is a haunted house-style experience where you can choose uh, either the Claire or Leon route through the RPD, but it's very much a haunted mansion, haunted house-style thing, which I think they, they did for the experience or the real or one of, one of those things that they've done. So uh, that's very much... Um, Another another thing we don't get uh, in the West, but uh, there's a little teaser trailer for that as well, showing live action, and the zombie makeup looks particularly horrifying, so it could be quite a good one. Anyone else seen it? I saw it advertised, but I don't actually know what it entails or anything like that. Yeah, so just this kind of haunted house. Rob, have you, have you seen it? No, I don't think I have seen it. Oh, take a peek, take a peek. Yeah, it looks okay. It looks, you know, uh, only running for a very short period of time, so as I said, it's another thing we won't experience. I love the concept, because I just always love Resident Evil. That's what I loved about the remake, you know, the, the spooky sort of mansion. Because I know, I know one of the problems that people had with 3.5 was that, you know, the, the sort of the, the ghost story element, and, and Resident Evil isn't about haunting and, and, and ghosts and things. But uh, I just love, I think that's a fantastic setting for Resident Evil, the spooky mansion setting. I agree. final bit of main news announced just a few days ago Laced Records are back with a limited edition coloured vinyl slash LPs of the original soundtracks of both Code Veronica and Resident Evil Zero George and Rob I think you've pre-ordered yeah I've gone ahead and pre-ordered I got the limited edition of the last two so figured I'd continue the collection oh yeah I've, I've ordered these two I didn't want to miss out the deluxe limited edition ones the Code Veronica one that's beautiful that's a great soundtrack of as well of course Code Veronica so well worth um, well worth buying Sean are you getting it um, not usually we want to collect vinyls actually but I concede that the artwork is fabulous. Although, interestingly, for the Code Veronica cover, um, they've taken like the large puppet in the private residence from uh, Dark Side, which does look a little bit different. Uh, that does conclude all the gaming news. We do have a bit of site news for you. Episodes 2 and 3 of the Project Umbrella podcast have been re-uploaded and re-released on Podbean and YouTube, going back to the carefree days of 2012. <laughs> uh, episode 2 focuses on what was the brand new release of Revelations on the 3DS, and Episode 3 features Operation Raccoon City, the always controversial Operation Raccoon City, but um, these are long, quite old now, so apologies for some of the audio quality I, I think I had a, uh, I didn't even have a, a USB microphone at that point but yes you could download them on Podbean and on YouTube feel free to do and then uh, the last ones to come out will be episodes 1 and 0 hopefully we'll get them out fairly expeditiously as well
Uh, final bit of site news. Stars has been streaming again. This time he's braving the worlds of Adonia and Torloks and Langshang in Resident Evil 6. And you can see how he gets on uh, on our YouTube channel. Enjoying them, Sean? Ever very much so. I mean, everyone can see how wonderful the game is just from watching the streams. And uh, we are still going to be playing it for some time. So if you want a guest appearance as a partner character, then just let me know. Yes, that's um, important. Yeah, we've got uh, we've opened up a new um, channel on our Discord server, so you can connect to that if uh, if you want to join in to be part of the chat uh, while so you're playing. It, it, it is the Steam version, um, so anyone who's got it, get it installed, and yeah, by all means, to be on a future future episode, sliding around with me. <laughs> What a proposition. Uh, (laughs) That does conclude all the site news. Uh, So we now move on to our main discussion of the podcast. 20 glorious years of Resident Evil 3 as we delve back into Raccoon City with our retrospective playthrough. It all began as an ordinary day in September. An ordinary day in Raccoon City. A city controlled by Umbrella. No one dared to oppose them, and that lack of strength would ultimately lead to their destruction. I suppose they had to suffer the consequences of their actions, but there would be no forgiveness. If only they had had the courage to fight. It's true that once the wheels of justice begin to turn, nothing can stop them. Nothing. It was Raccoon City's last chance, and my last chance. My last escape. Resident Evil 3, the final game in the original PSX trilogy. A troubled game that started life off on a cruise ship involving Hunk before morphing into the only Resident Evil game awarded 10 out of 10 by the official PlayStation magazine. Quite rightly, it is held in high regard by most Biohazard fans, and indeed, we would urge you to check out episode 17 of the podcast, where we go through the game and pinpoint our favourite parts and what we generally thought of the game as a whole. Fast forward a number of podcasts, and years later, we have reached 20 years since the release of Nemesis. In fact, it is 20 years since the US released this month, so what better way to celebrate this milestone than playing it all over again? And this, folks, is what episode 56 is all about. As we have done with Resident Evil, Resident Evil 2, and most recently Survivor, this is a look back on our individual journeys through the game. Most of us haven't actually played the game for a while, and we've all endeavoured to play it on different systems. So we will hear our thoughts on the route we took, the live selection choices, random encounters, and generally what we discovered in the process, as well as commenting on the systems that we played it on. This is not the review podcast, but an analytical one. So brief introduction, tell us what system or what version you played, and whether it still holds up in your opinion. George Trevor, we'll start with you. The system I started this on was the, well, GameCube version, playing it through the Wii using the uh, component cable as well. So I think you're the technical chap on this. I think I'm getting it in. Glorious 576i, yeah. (laughs) Yes. And it's interesting that I haven't played, I've seen Stars and Batman playing the Seamless Projects, haven't played them myself. So I, I kind of, you know, my experience of it wasn't solid by that. I mean, we'll go into detail later about it so very much holds up in terms of really provoking an atmosphere and deep emotions from you, these pre-rendered backdrops, yeah, coupled with the music. That's the GameCube version. Uh, what about you, Rumby? Uh I played the Dreamcast version and that's pretty much not the best option i think in hindsight but (laughs) quality wise the backgrounds are double scale over the original playstation and the same ones that used in the gamecube version as i found out 
when we were talking about this before. So obviously not as clean and crisp as the newly remastered PC versions, but uh, reasonably passable. And also compared to the original GameCube release, the Dreamcast puts out a VGA output, so you can get a nice kind of generally crisp image out of the Dreamcast, which looks nice on modern TVs. The backgrounds uh, starting to show their age in the sense that I notice more perhaps than I ever have, at least the scale on modern TVs, that objects are starting to actually blend a little bit more into the backgrounds. I don't know if that's a bad thing, but it's just definitely noticeable. The other thing about the Dreamcast version is that basically everything's unlocked from the get-go. Right. So the mercenaries is available as soon as you boot it up. The costumes are available from a selection screen before you even start the game. And this was the same with the PC version, as I recall. I think you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong, but they were developed concurrently at the same time for both platforms originally. So Cool. I played it original PlayStation on the PlayStation 2 with component cable. So I too was getting it in glorious 576i. I say upscaled 576i, so it really is pushing the boundaries of what a PlayStation game should look like. So probably without a doubt, my version was the worst looking out of everyone's. But I know it's worse. If I were to play it through emulation on the PlayStation 3, that's even worse, because when we did the Resident Evil 2 one, I couldn't even see where I was going. It was awful. So I kept it on the PlayStation 2 version. It was my original save uh, which was nice so i was able to do a kind of once again mode and uh, have some things unlocked so i was able to play in jill star's costume which is my preferred outfit for her i agree with what rob says it's slightly um i don't say poor looking you can still get a lot of detail but interestingly one of the quiz questions there's probably two answers because i couldn't see on the screen <laughs> what, the, what it was saying so uh... <laughs> So either an E or a K, so that, that won't help. But uh, there we go. So we'll, we'll get to that later. <laughs> so yeah, I, I played it on that. I, I had a lot of slowdown as well, but that could be down to the PS2 also showing its age. But apart from that, we're kind of like the standard definition playthroughs, whereas Stars and Batman, you went slightly different. So Stars, what, what did you do? People have seen me do it before, but I once again decided to uh, use the seamless HD project that those guys put out. You can't really go back once you've played it, to be honest. And I know there's a couple of issues that I still have with like the 1969 and that, but honestly, those minor little issues don't outweigh how absolutely spectacular the game looks now. So anyone who's still on the fence about trying them, just dive in because you will not regret it and you will never want to play it any other way again. Uh, I don't know what Batman will think, but you know I'm continued to be blown away by how detailed the backgrounds are. There's always new things you seem to spot. Every time you play it, it's just spectacular work. Yeah, I've got to agree. You know, the guys behind this have done God's work, really. They've given us the remake we all wanted. It's got to go down. This and the RE2 HD is one of the greatest fan community projects ever, I think. When we did the RE2 retrospective a year ago, it was something I was very much looking forward to, but it, it kind of spoilt the experience with just how dated the game looked playing it on the PS3. And it just yeah. spoilt the whole thing. But playing this, I mean, I've seen videos, but even the videos don't really do it justice. You have to sit down and play it. And it's like being back in 1999 when it was a brand new game. It's so detailed. I've only played through it once and I've already noticed so many things that you can't really see in the standard version these days. And even the FMV pack, which doubles the resolution from 320 by 160 to 640 by 320 you'd think that wouldn't make a difference, but it does. It makes it so clear. You know, I can't recommend it enough. Thank you, thank you. I just thought, Clarity, Stars, you did the community stream, so you've been given the option to the 
the community to choose your pathway through um, and you can view that on YouTube as well so yeah I mean uh, if people are listening aren't aware everyone kind of agreed the route before they decided to start it with the exception of myself I mean if everyone who was listening was there that night you guys chose the path through we basically every time we got a live selection I paused the game and gave the audience a chance to choose the path through the game you were actually quite nice to me everybody you didn't make me fight the nemesis outside the station so I Oh, no, they did, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, see, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> Savages. Yeah, it was uh, It was good fun. Thanks again to everyone who, who watched it, and it's going to be fun discussing what uh, what happened. Because we, we had a, a couple of nice little things coming up. It will start off, I mean, the, the, the opening introduction is a pleasure to watch that, especially if you've just watched Resident Evil Apocalypse, which we had done. You could see how it should have been done, <laughs> but not too bad. How was it on the HD project? As I said, with the FMV pack, it looks great. It's still the best intro sequence in the series, in my opinion. And when the inevitable RE3 remake does come along, I hope they replicate it as closely as possible because just the scene with the police making the last stand while the UBCS land on the rooftops, it's just brilliant. It's not been beaten yet, in my opinion. No, I completely agree with what Batman was saying because, you know, just the carnage and just, you know, the desperation and you just see that everyone's just screwed, you know, that whether it's the RPD or the special forces or the civilians. In terms of spectacularness, maybe not as good as the Code Veronica one. <laughs> Still... <laughs> All joking aside, it's marvellous, you know, and the way it ends, you know, just with the rain falling down and the cops crash cars and the dead policemen. Shots fired very early today there, blimey. <laughs> <laughs> so the game literally starts off with a bang, though, doesn't it? As you're propelled through Jill's presumably apartment onto the streets and you are quickly introduced to everyone's favourite tragic novelist. That is <laughs> is Dario. Before you get there, it's not quite... It's an easier introduction, isn't it, than, say, Resident Evil 2, which, you know, you, you've got to be quite clued up on the controls with Resident Evil 2. Otherwise, you'll probably die in that first section. Whereas this one's a bit, I think, a bit easier at the beginning to get going. You've got some ammo you, and you, you should be able to get past the two zombies that are in the way. It's a very awkward introduction, though, isn't it? I don't really like how this game starts. It feels... I would agree, actually. Very rushed. It, and... get the feeling they never knew quite how to start the game properly. Well, there was a plan and it technically wasn't capable of being done. It's difficult. I mean, you've kind of got the pictures of you know, Jill going, I'll make my last escape. But it does seem odd that she's still in the city when it's all gone to hell. It's the fact she's waited so long before thinking, right, I better try and get out of here. Yes, it doesn't, it doesn't quite ring true. But I just Bear in mind what outbreak takes place, what, on the 24th? It would have been a bit neater if you'd maybe just started inside Jill's apartment, for example, and you could have, I don't know, picked up a gun, examined a few items, and then left the apartment, and the game started that way, rather than just mm. giving you that sudden explosion and you just get thrown out onto the street. Mm. No doubt they'll do something like that in any kind of remake as a kind of tutorial. So you meet with uh, Dario, you make it into the into the warehouse. I have an exclusive scene in the PlayStation version. You do indeed. Is it if I, if I go back to him once he locks himself <clears throat> in the lorry? You you will get an extra line of dialogue on your there version, Nick. Yeah, which I can't remember. I should have written it down. I cannot remember what that is. <laughs> so in all of our versions, he will just simply say, "I've told you, I'm not leaving, never." But if you're playing, I think is just exclusively the PlayStation One version. Although someone will correct me, he also get an extra line of dialogue where he tells Jill, "Just get away from him." 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, just get away from me. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why it was taken out. It's one of those really bizarre ones, and I don't, you, you'll you'll never ever get the answer as to why that line is missing from. I'm yeah. sure it was just an overlook. Like I'm sure it was just when they were programming, someone just missed the line of dialogue or flag something that was supposed to run it or trim the file short by accident or something. And it's just used any reversion since. I can confirm. I did. I did trigger it after Stars' recommendation to do so. I just can't remember what he said. <laughs> but yes, that was so. That's there. But again, nothing's really happening that's different until we hit the the uptown and we leave the relative safety uh, of the warehouse and we start wandering towards the RPD. That's the, uh, the the first stop. But before we get there, we get to Bar Jack, which is wonderful. And we bump into everyone's favourite Chicken Heart Starts member, Brad Vickers, who's wandering around being chased by God knows what at this point. We don't... Well, so we don't know. We're not. We're led to not know at this point in time. But that's quite cool. You can see him being chased through the through the streets. I've always wanted to know how he ended up in that room. You know, he bursts out of, trapped with five zombies. Yeah, that's a good point. point. <laughs> kind of weird. What were you thinking? He, he must have gone down there as hiding, and then just not burst very big. out. And there was five zombies down there. So it was four that <laughs> came out with him, and one left down there. So yeah, yeah. Let's just say in headcanon, he tried to get the shotgun and uh, the door ended up being shut behind him. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Not a great plan. Not a great plan. So you do then encounter him in uh, Bar Jack, where he's being bitten. Uh, there's a t- topic about this. Was he actually infected at that point? And that raises many discussion points about whether a character is ever infected in this point uh, during the game, or is it just purely you know, gameplay mechanics? See, are you infected? I've, then you need to hurt that kind of thing. But I always thought I've he always, would. Be. I've always taken it as it was in a cutscene, therefore it is accurate to cutscene. Like he got bitten mm. in a cutscene, therefore he's been bitten. He would, yeah, he would, I think it's definitely a distinction. He would have to be infected to revive from the dead at this point, because the T virus doesn't yeah. doesn't reanimate uninfected corpses until Code Veronica onwards. Ah, that's a good point. I was going to say also, obviously, if he's infected by Nemesis, if he was only infected by the Nemesis, we saw how long it took on Jill for her to be potentially infected. His turnaround time was a lot quicker. Yeah, I mean, he was also infected by Nemesis, and he. Nemesis secretes a more potent version of the virus. Mm. You get one of your first little variations here. You've got basically one of three choices uh, with Brad. You can either intervene and help him shoot the zombie. You can stand there and do nothing. Or if you want a couple of different lines of dialogue, you can leave the room. Okay, and what happens if you leave the room? You just basically get a, a line. A, it's a line change. It's a slightly different performance, and there's a, a tweak to the dialogue. It's just something about how you know people aren't prepared for this kind of situation. What could think is what could they do if you help or just stand still? And if you try and leave, it's he, he's more desperate. The take is more intense, and he says, "What could anyone do?" Yeah, I think he's a bit more pissed off, isn't he? He doesn't mention. He doesn't call Jill by name. And instead of saying, oh, doesn't he? Oh, right, okay. And instead of saying, "What can the police do?" He just says, oh, "Yeah, what can anyone do?" Something like that. Oh. But it's interesting if he. I mean, yeah, that, that theory sounds um, plausible. Then, if he, he is infected, if he's not been, he's been, may have been attacked beforehand, but and the cutscene. But then I always raise the fact that Rebecca is bitten by an eliminator, but isn't infected in in a cutscene as well. But I, we, we we don't dwell on that, you know. <laughs> well, I think something happens to him after he leaves the bar to when he turns up at the RPD, because he looks to be carrying an injury he doesn't have at this point. Yeah, he's holding his side, isn't he? So More so than uh, perhaps before. So you can explore Bar Jack. Any, anyone make any, any observations about the bar? I think the only thing notable is the uh, file you get of the clock tower. 
I'd start a night out in there. It's a nice little place with its stone walls and its pinball it is, machines. It, ladies and gentlemen, was, it is a happening bar. <laughs> I was going to say, the, the, there's a nice little thing. It comes up a few times, obviously. It's in the warehouse as well, but that uh, above the rim graffiti from Resident Evil 2 also appears on the pinball machine. Mm. Yes. Yes, there was a question on the quiz what was, uh, what was above the uh, the cool beer sign. I think something we had that one time. But it's a, it's a nice bar. It's a bar. It's uh, it's just as just as cool as Jay's bar. Well, the staff of Raccoon Hospital are going to have a night out there. It's it's mentioned on one of the notice pods. In the oh hospital. yes, tenth of the third. Yeah, we'll have a night out in Bar Jack, and it's quite sad, isn't it? Because I think the date they give is the third of October, and as everybody knows, the, the city was blown up on on the first, as we've debated. Because uh, <laughs> I actually can remember when I first played the game, not. Realising that in America they have the day of the month and the month the wrong way around, and my birthday is the third of March. So I was like, "Oh fucking hell!" They've got my birthday in Resident Evil Three. But yeah, no, it's, I, I imagine it, the party is meant to be the third of October. Correct. Yeah. So you can't leave Bardo. You can go to the dress shop if you uh, oh. if you have the key. The music in there is amazing. Yes, yeah, so you can change into any outfits. I uh, slipped on the stars outfit. Correct me if I'm Rob, uh, wrong, Rob, but I don't even think you can go into the boutique in the Dreamcast no. version, can you? No, you don't. You don't get the key or anything because you just have this selection screen at the start. That's just a shame. It's a nice little room that they put in. There's some very strange stuff in that boutique. Like if you look at on the shelves, there's like red watering can and uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's the graphics not holding up to today's standards, but uh, if you have a look around, it, yeah, it's very odd. I mean, as with I think a lot of the tracks in this game, you know, not knocking Resident Evil 2, but just in terms of what Resident Evil 2 did so well and improved upon it. It's an amazing track in that room and throughout the game. The, the soundtrack's amazing. Yeah, I could have been Regina from Dino Crisis, but I That's don't know. Like That's cool that, at least to that. It's a nice mm. Easter egg, but I stick to either the standard or Star's outfit, which I think is um, more appropriate. There's a disco one, isn't there? A white is outfit. That, is that the all-in-white one? It's like a pantsuit. Yeah. And there's <laughs> a, the short-skirted police uniform, isn't there? Yes. Yes. There's a more sensible clothing outfit one as well, like shirt and trousers, like matching colour to the yes. actual outfit, but like a more sensible option version. Uh, okay, so the, the whole purpose of this area is to kind of work towards the RPD, you encounter a couple of uh, zombies uh, feasting, and you can go up some stairs, get them kind of uptown map. And that's the first time you kind of realise how big the area is, but also probably the first time you realise that you're not going to be, you, know, you don't normally get a map for these type of places. This is the first Resident Evil game where you're, you are more so outside than perhaps inside. And so it must have taken people a bit by surprise when suddenly you've got a, an, you know, a map of the city as opposed to a building. Mm. But I was going to say, I remember that being quite a surprise and then also the fact that right beside that map you go up the stairs to up the fire escape and you can just walk up the fire escape. Like, yeah. Like I just remember going, holy crap, like, it's no, there's no loading, there's no, I'm just going up the fire escape. And then same with the steps just by the bar as well, you can just walk down them. And obviously there's bits throughout the game later on where it becomes more apparent, especially bits in the RPD where you can see the difference between, say, Resident Evil 2 and 3. But mm. um, yeah, that was quite a good thing at the time. Just behind the fire escape, you get a nice uh, gun shop kendo van. I was just going to say, I like the detail in the maps as well, considering all the streets are blocked off with barricades and you just think it's all random, but it's nice to see on the map where the streets would actually go, like that uh, alleyway you just mentioned, Rob, with the fire escape. If you actually 
could continue down there that would lead you straight to the pharmacy but obviously because of the barricade you can't get there and it's interesting to see how on the map how all the streets could link if there wasn't any barricades there yeah that's the same i, I was thinking the same thing later on with the areas towards like the construction area and the power station and like this where this is like the cars crashed into the where you get the uh, you do the book the stone book for the compass yes. thing and there's a barricade there but if you could go through there it would just lead you straight to the power station yeah like if you could just go through like those sorts of areas yeah I fear it's a lot of that's going to get lost in the remake with the um, the more modern spin that they've put on uh, Raccoon City particularly from remake 2 where it just looks like a, you know a, a slightly smaller New York or something yeah I mean Raccoon's got a, a very distinctive art style isn't it and mm. it, it, it's a clever thing it makes you feel that you're outside but actually where you can go certainly in the, in the early areas it is relatively linear isn't it you've got a couple of choices later on but it doesn't feel that restricted at the same time and it's Not because of, yeah and it's because of the, the way it's all designed with all the kind of blockades and you know that the city is a very unique looking one it's not overly modern and and you know i think there's been a lot of research into the kind of starts quite parisian isn't it i think a lot of people compared it to a paris it's quite narrow in places and we'll get to like the shopping district which is you know very unique in my opinion but only later does it to some of the streets get quite wide i'm thinking mainly like the cinema area has got quite a, a wide street but you know the way that it's all put together it makes it feel bigger than it really is and i think that's quite a clever approach they did without obviously you know with graphical limitations that they had yeah i mean i just wanted to sort of come in on that because you're right it does do that amazing job where yeah you've got that quick choice when you go into a uh, bar jack whether you know you take the key and you you go out the immediate door you or you go back out onto those streets uh, and you, you know you can you can work around there's that fire escape Rombi mentioned you can go up there and there are the little things here and there that you can go in and out of but you know just the, the, the sheer amount of you know things and the barricades you know the broken glass everywhere on the streets i just think they just did an incredible job just showing an immense scale of width across and height so that you see vastly back into the distance you know these buildings are just amazing and i think you take something like you talk about the remake and you're going up to quite poor standard textures when you can actually have a free roaming camera that lets you get over there i think sometimes it's better just to not be able to get there you know like a landscape which is a painting you know it's not a photographic image of that landscape it doesn't necessarily but it actually can sometimes the portrait the painting can sometimes evoke a deeper emotion you know than the actual say a photographic image of that of, of the same yeah. uh so yeah i just, I just think they're, they're amazing and i, I think that's a testament to the fact that they could stand up in today's gaming because i think they do just as much as a modern game I'd agree. I'd agree entirely. And as I said, this kind of all leads up to entering a familiar location. It's always quite nice to come up to the RPD, um, an area that you couldn't explore in Resident Evil 2. Um, you you know, the, the kind of the, the main front gate and you've got uh, the burning car. You've got the there's a bookshop, isn't there, that you can see. And instantly you're, you can see your exit goal, because if you go and explore that door, it needs a lockpick. And, you know, you can see where you've got to go. But the only place you can then go is the RPD, which brings us on to possibly my favorite FMV in the entire huh. series. Yeah, it's not it's not Code Veronica. It really isn't. <laughs> it, it, it's... It's, no, it's not. No, I agree, John. It's not. I don't think Cobra Rock is my favorite. This could be. I absolutely love. I think this is one of the most shocking moments in the series, if they mm. were ever to do the most shocking. But simply because, you know, there's Brad. You think, oh, we'll be all right. We'll rescue Brad. He's stars. But then you kind of think, yeah, he deserves it. He shouldn't have left me in the mansion, the bastard. And then, you know. <laughs> 
Well, of and course, also, if you've played Resident Evil 2, you know all the secrets, you know he ends up outside the RPD. Yes, but then not everyone will know that. You've got, you've got no, to but met- it's, you do know that. It just works so perfectly well. It's so well planned that he turns up there and this happens. Like Yes. To me, it only adds to it. And the introduction of the Nemesis is just, just a glorious, glorious scene. He just exudes presence, doesn't he? He's there. He's huge. He just tosses bread around like he's a ragdoll. And, and so then- much so than the tyrants, though, don't you think? And again, you know, this is how it improves upon, you know, its predecessor. It's just the tyrants just almost feel just kind of anemic to me. You know, I know the thing has been mentioned, you know, with almost those featureless faces that they can come across almost more, you know, sinister. But yeah, just Nemesis and that whole mechanic of, you know, hunting you down throughout the game. Again, it's what just, yeah, lifts Resident Evil 3 up to me as the best in the series. I just remember, you know, first time you're playing it, like, oh my God, oh my God. And then suddenly you're introduced to the, the kind of first live selection. The hardest in the game. Oh my god, that's the hardest encounter in the entire game. Yeah, Yeah. the battle against Nemesis, yeah, it's proper hard. You've just not got the arsenal. Needless to say, I ran, but that's, you know, that goes without saying. So, uh, what option did everyone else choose? Romy, what did you do? I know what the codes are for the locker, so I don't need the ID for the computer to get the code. There's only four codes. So, to me, I just was like, alright, I can just leave this. I don't need to fight the Nemesis. I'm not fussed about the parts. If I want them, I'll get them later on. So, I was like, eh, I don't need Brad's stars card. I don't even need Jill's stars card. I can just let you go get the key from the locker. So, I was lazy. (laughs) George, what did you do? The enjoyment, man, the satisfaction of just having unlimited magnum bullets, you know, (laughs) that you get if you eventually do him in. Um, every time and and my kind of idea is that this is the hardest one you know i think particularly because something i noticed looking i think through the japanese guide i think conquest of nemesis that i think this is the only area where you can't there's nothing that you can sort of climb on top there's quite i didn't realize it later on in the game there's quite a few things you can climb on top of where nemesis just simply can't get you so this is the hardest one and just with the shotgun i've seen people do it online you know just with a knife and if you can get the timing of the dodge technique right it's actually quite easy but I just literally come out of there using all of my herbs, using all of my health, using all of my ammunition and just escape with my life if I'm lucky. I sort of do it once in every five attempts. I'm successful. You will get the eagle parts, which is quite yeah. sensitive. Uh, Batman, what did you do? Nine times out of ten, I just run straight for the RPD. But I thought, no, I'm going to try it because I want the eagle as soon as possible. And I'd forgotten how hard it was. I mean, I haven't tried this for oh, about 15-odd years. And I went into it with about four aid sprays and all the bullets I'd managed to save. And it was so difficult. And I'd <laughs> forgotten because you actually knock him down. And I thought, excellent, and started doing a little jig. And then the bastard gets back up again. <laughs> And then, of course, you try and retreat, you run out the gate, and he follows you, and yeah, it's just brilliant. And I managed to kill him, but I I literally used all my ammo and all my health to do so. You can actually leave? I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, you retreat out the gates, and he'll follow you. I didn't know that. Brilliant. I I, I might try that. You can just grab the card and go through the door. Yeah. Is it a better environment to fight him outside, or is it better in in, in the courtyard? I actually found it easier in the courtyard because it's smaller and a bit more cramped. He doesn't run at you as much. Whereas right. if you just go out the gate yeah. and leg it, he just chases you down all the time. Uh, Tyrant, what did the community choose for you? I think you've already alluded to it. As predicted, they made me fight the nemesis. And <laughs> Kendo's meme shop gave me some excellent advice with regards to the dodging. So it was actually, I got to debut my rehearsed dodging skills. And it went so very nearly well. But I did actually die once to him. Reloaded and did it quite successfully the second time so yeah I, I experienced my first death first and only death I think it was the only one I had no no Hunter's killed you oh yeah 
Yeah. yeah, but I can say with some assurance it was a mightily impressive effort. It was uh, it was sweet dodging the whole time. <laughs> very good, very good. I just I got a bit too arrogant and didn't heal when I should have done, and he threw me down and I couldn't heal before he grabbed me by the mm. neck. So yeah, I managed to get the stars card off Brad and then enter the RPD. In the HD version, the stars card has the Resident Evil One artwork. It does indeed. Yeah, the um, like the hand drawn. Art yep. of Brad, which is a nice little Easter egg. And yes, for everybody wondering, the RPD logo does say 1969 on it. <sighs> so we enter into the RPD and we feel we're back at home. We've obviously spent a huge amount of time there in Resident Evil 2. But what's interesting from the storyline point of view is that most of the RPD is out of bounds. Most of it has been boarded up by the RPD themselves. And so it's a very relatively linear route that you can take. And you don't spend an awful long time in the RPD. But I think from storyline point of view, um, this is before Irons goes a bit bozo, isn't it? And then breaks down all the barricades. Yeah, I mean, this is actually one of my favourite subplots in the series because if you put the files together from Resident Evil 2, 3 and Outbreak and Outbreak File 2, it gives you the complete picture of what's happened to the police. It's really, really good. To explain the downfall of the police, you have to go back two days earlier to September 26th and it starts with the infected restaurant owner coming to take shelter in the station. You know, the one who had the jewel in his pocket, which you need mm. to use on the City Hall clock. He's infected and he, he's shot to death and Marvin has to suspend investigation of the theft of the jewel because there's not enough officers because of what's going on in the city and that same day the station's attacked by a large number of zombies you know let's assume this is why all the windows are broken in the various corridors because they've smashed the way inside you know many officers and civilians are killed during this david ford writes about how an officer saved him but when it, the time came to repair the favor he was too scared to help the survivors uh-huh. regroup david ford writes the first operation report i think today yep and i like to think this is what the plan you can see on the chalkboard in the briefing room oh yes if you go up to the description it says that something like a strategy was being planned here yeah and i think this is when chief irons comes out of his office and starts killing anyone he comes across i think there's a file saying he shot someone called ed in the back in the back yeah Yeah. the look of sort of i think pain on his face was exquisite or something as he died in front of him that's right yeah and then late that night is when the ubcs come into the city and then it must just go beyond midnight when the police make the last stand on the streets in the intro because you can pick up a photograph showing the police SWAT teams deploying and it says it's dated September 27th so it must just be after midnight because it's concurrent with the UBCS going in which they go in on the 26th obviously most of the police are killed in this battle and on September the 27th in the morning there's roughly about 20 survivors left which includes Elliot, Edward, David Ford uh, Marvin, Aaron, Tony Fred, Rita from Desperate Times and about 12 others including some civilians and then that afternoon zombies break through the west barricade and 12 more people are killed the ruined tables and the bullet holes in the walls in the west office are, are result of what happens here I think and the survivors begin to retreat in this battle and this is when the police are effectively split into two groups. David Ford takes his group through the door into the evidence room and into the west wing of the station and locks the door whereas Marvin takes his group back out into the main hall and locks the door to the western office which is how you find it in desperate times. So as I said the police are now split into two and it's it's really clear in the files when you read it all. The, the officers in the west wing are David Ford, Elliot, Edward, 
Andy, which is just an NPC from Outbreak, and about eight others. David Ford locks some civilians inside the evidence room to keep them safe, and it's explained in the Biohazard 2 guidebook that some of these are infected, and they eventually turn into zombies, which is why when you play Resident Evil 2, which was written obviously before Resident Evil 3, you find four zombies in there. That was meant to be the explanation behind that. Wow. And the remake of 3 is going to destroy everything that you just said with the files that come out. Well, remake 2 already has because you've got the other survivors in the East Wing, Marvin and the characters from Desperate Times. Both groups are cut off from each other with no way of communicating and then obviously you've still got Chief Irons in his office, the mayor's daughter's hiding somewhere. You've got Ben in the cells with two other prisoners who you can meet in Desperate Times as well. So I counted them all up and I think the total number of people left in the station at this point is 21. And then David Ford and his colleague retreat back into the briefing room and he writes up the second operation report. They also start to barricade up the door connecting the corridor where you meet the first liquor in Resident Evil 2 to the corridor leading to the briefing room in in Resident Evil 3 that's barricaded up so they must have done that so David Ford's team's got access to the briefing room the eastern staircase the evidence room the dark room the upstairs corridor star's office and the library we're still on September 27th David Ford goes to the office next to the dark room to drink whiskey and he contemplates blowing his own brains out with his shotgun but he doesn't do this because he's interrupted by the first appearance of the liquor which kills three more of his team and then at some point a fire breaks out near the helipad because that's what we see in Desperate Times which takes place on the evening of the 27th and then you've got Desperate Times playing out. Aaron, Tony and Fred are killed here, Rita escapes, Marvin is wounded and locks himself in the West Office. At some point he must come out and barricade the doors in the main hall because there's no one else who he can literally be to be honest. And then by September 28th there's 14 people left alive. There's Marvin, David Ford, Elliot Edward, Ben, the two other prisoners, Chief Irons, the Mayor's daughter and six others. And then Operation Report 2 happens at 2 30 a.m. that day when the west wing of the station is attacked by zombies and four more are killed including david ford so elliot edward writes this operation log saying there's just him and three others left and that's when they decide to try and escape via the sewer once they find a a safe route through the station so by the time jill arrives in resident evil 3 on the afternoon of september 28th in total there's six other officers left alive in the stations chief irons marvin elliot edward and his three colleagues but when jill moves through what she can access in the police station in Resident Evil 3, she should in theory run into Elliot Edward and his team because that's the only part of the station they can be in but because we never see them the only room they can be in is the library I mean Jill does find Marvin unconscious in the rest office but when you go back there he's got up and left, his body's disappeared presumably when Jill leaves the station Elliot and his three friends come out of their hiding place remove the barricades from all the doors because they're obviously not there in Resident Evil 2 they eventually abandon their plan of escaping through the sewers and instead try and signal the rescue helicopter um, which obviously takes some time to achieve because all communications are down. I know I'm deviating slightly here, but if you go into September 29th, before Leon and Claire arrive, one by one, Elliot's three colleagues are all killed off. And by the time Leon and Claire arrive at the beginning of RE2, only Elliot remains, and we see him get killed on the heliport just as his rescue arrives. And this last part is just purely my theory, but when you play Resident Evil 2, you'll notice you'll find three police officer corpses that are not present in the same rooms in desperate times two days earlier. One is in the east office, one's in the night watchman's room, and one's on the second floor corridor being pecked to death by crows. 
So I like to think these are the three guys that were with Elliot Edward. So that just <laughs> that leaves cool. Chief Irons. And when Leon visits the cells, the two prisoners from Outbreak are missing. So that's basically the entire downfall of the police. It sounds a lot, but it's all in the files. And then Remake 2 comes along and just chucks it all in the bin. Can I state that was absolutely incredible? <laughs> I do believe as well, one of the scenarios that you would have assumed would have been in File 3 has those two convicts in it, so I, I'm guessing you would have seen their story of mm. how they escaped. Yeah, but it is, it's interesting, and that was that was one of the big disappointments for Remake 2, that they just didn't consider any of that and just tossed it all away. This is why it's very easy for me to just put that in a non-canon mm. territory, because mm. I don't see why you would write off all that all the games that tell that storyline just for the sake of a remake when you know the original game exists fine so carrying on then well, you encounter nemesis again in, in in the rpd did anyone have any particular moments in the rpd that they wanted to share the exploration going back to the stars office always lovely always nice i think it's just nice knowing that you're there 24 hours before resident evil 2 happens and it, it makes you think you know what's going to happen after you've gone and I know the continuity is knackered with the various doors, but it's kind of nice how Jill unlocks the star's office so it's unlocked when Leon and Claire go there. You know, little touches like that. And it still gets me every time when you're coming back downstairs and suddenly you hear something smashing and the music changes to the nemesis is coming and you know, you know you're know, you fucked. Yeah. Yeah. And you almost don't even feel safe in the save room because when you go in there, you don't get that usual soothing music. You still get that, you know, that tense nemesis soundtrack. Yeah. I think that's one of the best touches you've ever done. And that obviously that carries on throughout the game, but... It's something I point out. You hear a glass smash, but the window isn't broken at that point. And it, <laughs> I think we've had a joke on the Discord server about the nemesis being, you know, very clumsy, trying to sneak in, jump through it. But he's obviously smashed something outside. I don't know what it is. It's not the window. Smashed out of a window and then jumped back through that window instead. I don't know what he's done, but you see it. I think so many people just missed it. You kind of walk down, they hear a smash. You go, oh, what's yeah. that? And then, but of course, the window hasn't smashed yet. <laughs> No, he, he jumps through it. So I reckon he smashed another window somewhere else, would jump through another window and then jumps back through the window into the hallway just as you go past. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he jumps through and he goes, ah, oh, wrong window. <laughs> That, that was just a zombie. That's not a stars member. Oh, well. uh, but yeah, after the kind of the secondary nemesis encounters, if, if you run away like I have, you have to fight him. And replaying this, I had completely forgotten how quick Nemesis is. <laughs> it is absolutely lightning. You know, I've been playing Remake too, and you know, uh, you can keep a good distance ahead of Mister X. You know, as long as you're running and you're on good health, you're fine. That doesn't guarantee survival in this game. He is lightning, and uh, I totally forgotten how quick. He was and you know petrifying also got the rocket launcher at the stage too which he, he does outside you can just about position yourself just around the corner where he actually will keep shooting the rocket launcher at you and it just hits the back wall behind you so again just making that first encounter feel even harder i will openly confess this is where i had my first death i got i don't say stun locked but i um when you run back into the west office i couldn't remember which was the best way to go let you because you, you as you come in you can go left or right can't you around the table and the, I, I left some zombies in there I was like, I don't know which way to go. And I was dawdling. And I dawdled too much. And I went left. And I think I got stuck behind a chair. Because the nemesis won't come, will he? Providing you're looking at the door, he would come in. He only comes in if you watch your screen. So I knew I was relatively safe. But of course, the zombies were coming. And I just dawdled. And I should be running. And I went left. I went, no, like that. And the zombies grabbed me. And then that flicked the uh, pre-rendered screen. In comes nemesis. And he just you know bolted and then picked me up and that was the end of me i was like no and i hadn't saved <laughs> and i thought well this is brilliant back i start again but 
a lesson to be learned. I also got caught looking at the magical hats. There's two magical hats, isn't there? I always think they're, they're like wizard hats. Are they hats? I always party, think they're hats. Party hats. Party hats. Is that, party hats. Are they party hats? I always thought they were wizard hats. <laughs> why, why would they be <laughs> wizard why hats? Why would you think they're, they're, party, they're carnal party hats? <laughs> <laughs> one, one, it just looks like a. Well, it's got it's blue with yellow stars. It looks like a traditional wizard. Yeah, hat. A, Lord, a Lord of the Rings cosplay party. <laughs> so that, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Leon is a Lord of the Rings fan. God, they themed welcome party for him. <laughs> if only that could have been a question. What fantastical item would one find in the West Place? And we all would have been like, fantastical item? What's he talking about? And then he would have been like, there's some wizard hats. And we would have been like, they're not wizard hats. It's canon. Leon likes wizards. It's canon. <laughs> George, you're Leon about to wizard. No, I was just going to say, I have always thought that it looked like a wizard hat. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> So I'm not just saying that. I really have done. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's blue with those like gold stars on it. Isn't that the same uniform that Mickey wears in the fan- Fantasia? Yes, in Fantasia. Yes, that's where it's from. It's Mickey Mouse's Fantasia hat. Thank me and Nick. No. Thank yeah. you. I kind of wouldn't mind, oh, yeah, except for the fact there's party streamers and a big sign saying, Welcome, Leon, and fucking cups <laughs> for drinks. Yeah, and other colour party hats. Not just that one, there's a red one as well. So and it's, like... so it's clearly a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> They're all wizards. Oh, God. You're a wizard, Leon. You're a wizard. <laughs> oh, dear, but yes, that killed me. <laughs> so there we go. Um, obviously, you leave it with the Blue Jewel, but uh, any other particular experiences in the, in the RPD? Well, I... I got at this point the Magnum in the Star Locker. Oh yes, it's always yes. good to get that first at this stage. Yeah, I think the weapon is based on the live selection. So if you fight the Nemesis, you get the Magnum. If you don't fight, you get the grenade launcher. I don't think it changes for any other reason. Yeah, mm. That would make sense. Yeah, I got the uh, I got the Magnum as well. I actually took him out on the stairs as soon as he came through the window. It's actually mm-hmm. easy, easier that bit because he's got his rocket launcher. He can't pick you up. Yeah. Um, Did you use the Magnum against him then? I used the Magnum and I used the bell-shaped corridor as like a dog leg so he couldn't get me with his rocket launcher. How many Magnum blasts did he take? Oh, it took all of them because you only have six at that time, don't you? And it took about another 15, 20 shotgun blasts. Oh, right, bloody hell. Wow. And that's Eagle Part 2, or is it the first aid spray? Yeah, it was Eagle Part 2. It was Eagle Part, yeah. completely forgot how great that Eagle is. Oh, it's great, yeah. Yeah. It's purple. Makes it great straight away. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> most, most... You know what would make it better? If it had a wizard pattern on it. <laughs> um, I was going to say, across the board, the, the enemies in this game are quite resilient. I hadn't forgotten how much ammo even just like simple enemies can take. Like Obviously, zombies can be downed with one well-placed shotgun to the head. But like dogs, if you shoot them with like from a distance with pistol shots, they take quite a lot yeah. of ammo. Yeah, that's, I noticed that as well, actually, particularly with the Cerberus, you're right. Come on, Nick. Come on, correct him. Yeah, they're not Cerberus. You they're fucking... fucking <laughs> oh, sorry, guys, you're right. You me on a previous podcast when I said that. Yeah. <laughs> zombie dogs, zombie dogs. Oh, God, that was an amateur error by me, sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, it kind of tells you that every citizen of Raccoon City only owns Dobermans. <laughs> there we go. It's the dog of the of the town. Like you, you can't have anything else but except Doctor Cameron. Yeah. Who he does not? Who? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, oh, I, I'm with you though, Nick. I'd love to have that as part of the canon. I, 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 I could quite happily have it. Graphically, though, not a lot of difference. I think they, they must have just reused all the assets. I don't think they improved them at all between RE2 and RE3 in the RPD. I couldn't see any uh, notable differences, but then I was watching it on a terrible version. So HD project viewers, did you notice any difference? They've redone a few of the signs for the HD versions, but that's only where the upscale melted the text originally. Uh, in terms of the zombies, they're all created for this game, and I actually think they're um, a little bit more boring. Like I, I noticed, I think I pointed out in the stream, didn't I, when I was in the upper floor where you've got the statue puzzle, they're all variations of, you know, brown with, like, beige trousers, and, you know, I, th- I found there was a better variety in Resident Evil 2. I think the exception to that is probably there's more female zombies in this. A variety and the didn't have yeah and the size yeah i was gonna say the, the body shape the fat is one isn't there but yeah um well there's more than there's not just the fat there's like three different body shapes i think so there's like regular skinny large and then obese but to say as well when we talked about the nemesis being introduced i still think all these games later and all these appearances subsequent appearances no other game in the series has got the intimidation look and voice of the nemesis right as uh, resident evil 3 did not even close not even close a genuine sense of panic it still feels monstrous and like a like a proper like organic weapon and i, I don't like the fact that um subsequent games have given him like terminator head up, heads up displays and uh, mm. things like that uh, we leave the rpd we have our lockpick and we head into downtown when you're alone, I don't know the words. Right, uh, you hit downtown. Then. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Downtown area, lots to explore. You've got the garage, Grill Thirteen, the press office, the city, lots of stuff going on. We'll try and take it in everyone uh, because obviously this is one of the first points where you can actually do things in different order, and that will depend on what options you get with live selections. And I think that's important because I actually did two, but I kept dying. So um, you first come to the garage. As you walk along the corridors, you see your not liquor BOW appear. At least crawling up the side of the wall. Mm, uh, the, pops out the window. He does, the old drain Demios. But yeah, you head into the garage. Uh, lots of zombie dogs, actually. I think this game has more zombie dogs than any other. Can I just say at this stage, I won't go into detail because I know we're not going to do a review, but anyone listening, if they just want to get a re- a, an idea of the sheer scale um, that these pre-rendered backgrounds offer, which I think some people really don't t- take into appreciation, is, is the, the connecting screens just before you go into the garage. You think this is the building, isn't it, that's marked Raccoon uh, Post City Office? Post Office, yeah. Even though when you go in it, you've got that underground garage. But yeah, you know, you, I mean, as you come into that screen, again, just the detail, you've got like a, a police car, you've got chairs like smashed through the windscreen of the car, you've got a cigarette machine on top of the car, bar stools on top of the cigarette machine. That you know, we talk about those buildings. You've got these four huge, like kind of double-fronted mansion blocks that just go off into the distance. And then the height, you've got that huge bus that's stacked on top, that's mounted those up two cars, and you've got a body going through the windscreen. And I think, yeah, it's a good point that maybe the, the zombies aren't as varied as they are in RE2. But something I noticed is the descriptions of the, of the dead seems to be far more descriptive and desperate than in RE2. You know, where you just mentioned that Drain Demos, you've got, got the dead mercenary. Oh, yes. Um, and just all the descriptions, but it's how the dead died. You know, you know, the expression of pain on their faces and their guts that are ripped through their, you know, through their rib cages. And yeah, just take a time to read some of these, these descriptions. They're amazing. I would say, I think that is one of my hearts, along with the level of detail 
provided to the backgrounds. It's not even just like the level of detail, like what you were talking about, but like obviously that they created multiple versions of things that cycle through as an animation or a change after an event. Obviously, like the gas station later on, and like I'm thinking about even at the I'm getting way ahead of myself, but even just to mention it because I think it's one of the more impressive ones is the clock tower in the church. Nemesis banging on the door adds cracks to the door and it changes as he hits it. Like that's just a refresh of the background, but it's just those little attentions to detail that are just so amazing in this yeah. game. It's such a shame it was the last of the original. Like I can just mm. the improvements technically you could see in this game where it would have gone if they'd got managed to get one more out in that generation. Mm. Well, let's see what everyone did first because you can have the choice of going to the restaurant, aka Grill Thirteen, or you can go to the press office. I'll start with Batman. Which did you decide to investigate first and trigger your meeting with a South American hunk of a man? Um. Well, I. Actually, I, I was considering the press office, but I couldn't actually remember what the live selection was there. And because I was trying to get the Terminator 2 shotgun as soon as possible, so I could remember if you went to Grill 13, you could use the uh, light to cause a gas explosion and knock him down without fighting him. So I decided to follow Carlos into Grill 13 and went past the cinema playing Biohazard 4. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're introduced to Carlos, uh, an alright character. You know, he has a couple of uh, amusing dialogue exchanges with Jill about his accent and whatnot. It's nice that Jill really hates Umbrella in this game, like really properly hates Umbrella. Yeah. And the live selection when Nemesis turned up, instead of hiding in the basement, I decided to hide in the kitchen and there's a, a leaking gas valve that Jill throws a lamp on and that incapacitates Nemesis. And this was the third time I'd knocked him down, so I got a first aid spray. Box. Box, yes. And then when you go into the back alley and have your little talk with Carlos and Carlos runs off, I decided to go back to see if I could take him down again. But he was still there and I knocked him down again, but this time he didn't leave any items. Okay. I think if you knock him down again in the same area, he, he won't leave anything for you. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty uneventful in all. I think there's one file in there, which is like a city guide uh, yep. from Michael Warren. That was about it, really. Rumby's more likely to know the gunpowder... I know I'm deviating. Sometimes it appears, sometimes it doesn't. It seems to be very random as to... It's not random at all. Is it not? Because uh, it, I was watching no, Sean's stream. It's, and I... it's always one of two places. So if it appears somewhere, it won't appear somewhere else. And if it appears, if it doesn't appear where it's supposed to, it'll appear somewhere else in the place. So, for example, uh, it's a perfect example using the restaurant. If you arrive in the restaurant, there is one of the booths to the right of the doors when you walk in, and there's some yep. gunpowder. If it's not there, then they they are in the press office, I think, somewhere else. Like, it, I can't remember exactly where it is, but because when I last played, I played the restaurant as well, and that's where they appear. But yeah, uh, it's like also back at the RPD where Marvin's body is. You find shotgun shells. If they're not there, they're in where the puzzle from Resident Evil Two with the fireplace at the back of the briefing room. They're on that mantelpiece there instead. So it's like that throughout the entire game, and it's like the weapon thing as well with the Magnum and the grenade launcher. Some of them are based off a randomizer, so obviously I don't know what the exact system is. It's the same thing that works out what the puzzles are going to be some of them are obviously set based on your decisions like i explained before with the weapon i'm pretty sure the grenade launcher magnum thing is based entirely on whether or not you fight nemesis first time others are just based on the game choosing herbs and stuff as well same thing yeah because i made a critical error i completely forgot well i said critical error i went back to the rpd because i was convinced i'd left the there's three green herbs 
at the front, and I was desperate for health at that point, and we got there already gone. So I don't know if they would peered somewhere else, but there we go. Thanks for that, Rob. That's really useful. So what about what was your option? I did exactly the same restaurant, just simply because I knew I'd get the Nemesis first Nemesis pickup that I was going to get excited and bother killing him at that point. But I knew what John did, which is that you get a freebie basically for throwing the the lamp at the gas and causing an explosion. I had forgotten there was nothing in the basement though, so I climbed down the ladder and then was like, oh yeah, that's right, this is only useful if you are exiting or come here second. Uh, So I climbed back up and Nemesis was basically right in our faces. (laughs) Uh, So we basically ran out and then had a little cutscene and then went off to the press office second when i first did i did the restaurant and i hid in the basement and then of course you get the flooding and i completely forgot what you have to do <laughs> there's a, a latch it's escape route isn't there mm. and i just i could I, I don't know it wasn't I, I could see it i wasn't i was clicking and it just wasn't going on i was like oh my god what's going i thought i was gonna drown and if you don't find it in time carlos just says quick come this way <laughs> and it, it's a total waste of an option because you then got to go back up the ladder and um you fight nemesis again so that didn't work out very well for me either and i died because then i had to do it all over again <laughs> and i decided to do press office instead just a bit of variation and i really like the press office route i think it's one of the better mini kind of i say it's not a hub area that's that's a very generous term but one of the better small buildings that you explore um, i think the fire effects are really good for the system you know for the game i think it's quite effective with the kind of blast door coming down and then as you're going up the steps you get a nice kind of jump moment with the door kind of blasting across I was going to say, I think it's worth noting on the same point. I mean, I know it's going to come more apparent as we talk, but obviously, depending on which your selections are, obviously have ramifications on who you meet, what happens, and those have longer lasting effects further down the storyline slightly. They're mostly cosmetic. They're dialogue trees or changes of scenes and stuff, but it's obviously worth pointing out that if you go to the press office first or the restaurant first, you're going to get a different set of scenes and scenarios and how you meet and all that sort of changes. So, yeah, people who go to the press office first and then the restaurant second are going to get a different run of things than they yes the other way around. that's right when nemesis comes is up the steps you get the option of either jumping out the window or hide in the back or hide in the back yeah i jumped out the window just because i wanted to go to the area where you can't go unless you jump out the window they want to complete the map. There's a little alleyway next to it, which is locks, and you can only lock it from the other side, and there's two red herbs. So that's the route I took. George, what did you do? Well, I, I wanted to sort of subvert my usual route everywhere I went, you know, even if I didn't have the right items, just to completely go in, in a different direction. Probably why I've got a wonderful game time of like seven and a half hours at the end of it. And um, I went straight to the press office, I kind of went into Grill 13, but didn't do the, you know, didn't do the things to trigger the nemesis scene. And that's why I just love this game. You know, I've played it a thousand times and I've never gone into the press office first. So I go in there. You're right, Nick, the fire effects are great. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'm going to meet Nemesis here at this point, you know, because uh, I haven't met him there before. I haven't met Nemesis in the press office before. But as I go in there, there's a pair of legs like behind a desk, like vibrating. And I was like, what's going on there? And then you see it's Carlos. And I, I sort of killed Carlos by not doing the right path. So, yeah, I got that little cut scene. And, you, and I didn't know, Nick, you mentioned that little room you can access by jumping through the window with the Nemesis encounter, uh, which I did. And that was so cool because, you know, for years I've kind of gone up to that door and tried to open it. And obviously, you know, and it's locked and just thought, you know, it's just one those typical silent hill doors that are, you know just always remain locked just to give that you know illusion of not having such a linear path but uh yeah it's fantastic and when i did finally kill nemesis on this encounter i got the because i'm going out of my way to kill him on every single one to get the uh you know the the infinite uh, magnum bullets that i choose so yeah i got the three health sprays as well when i when i did him in and again it, it's relatively easy 
uh, as long as you've got enough health with you, you can, you know, shoot him a few times, run away. You, you get that rotation of when he grabs you, you know when he's going to let go. Yeah. And you can direct that battle to that quite big open area. Yeah. By the, which helps. Uh, Stars, Tyrant, what did the community choose for you, <coughs> restaurant or, or press office? So I um, paused the uh, game and gave the community a choice. And you guys all wanted me to go to Grill 13, so that's where we headed. We lockpicked the cabinet, opened the hatch to the basement, and then obviously Nemesis turned up, and everyone made me um, blow up the kitchen, and uh, that was basically it. We obviously met Carlos there. GT was actually one of the, the instruments <laughs> yes, for um, us doing the restaurant path, because he wanted to hear Carlos say, barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just what, another one of those Carlos's lines. I mean, Carlos's lines are quite ridiculous, aren't they? And and that's that's the other thing because I obviously missed his foxy ladies, foxy accent, or whatever uh, line. <laughs> but then you get, but then you get some line about how he's not into S and M. Really? Yeah. No. If, if you if you do in the press office, the dialogue encounter you get when you're in that kind of little back alley room, you know, the bonus alley room that completes the map. He said something like, "Oh, don't think I'm into all that pain and torture stuff," or something like that. You could go back and listen to it. It's very funny. It's some sort of reference to getting sexual pleasure from pain. <laughs> what happens if you hide in the office in the press office when Nemesis comes? I can't remember. The door that you can't open blows up in the fire and knocks him out, and you can get uh, another item from him there. Ah, right. And if you jump out of the window and leave the press office, do you get the scene where he jumps off the roof onto the ruined fire engine and attacks you? Or is that another random oh, occurrence? I don't think I've ever seen that. It's, no, I, I haven't seen that. It's brilliant. This, it's definitely happened to me mm. before where I've come out the press office yes, and same. headed towards the gate, and he just jumps onto the fire yeah, engine. Is and then jumps yeah, off and, and attacks you. It's, wow. uh, it's brilliant. I'm afraid I was bolting it too quickly. Because so. <laughs> the music's still going, isn't it? It's, you know. See, I find this fascinating. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody has those games where you still are learning new things 20 years later. And as we'll get to in a bit, you know, I saw a cutscene that I'd, or a variation of a cutscene that I'd not seen. And I've probably played through this game 30, 40 times, which probably not a lot compared to speedrunners or whatever. But the fact that I'm still seeing like new things and I've just learned just now recording this. There's another Nemesis scene I've not seen with the fire engine there. I just find it fascinating. There's, you know, there's so many games that just don't have this level of replayability. No, I think RE3 is, you know, we talk about the randomizer as well. It's um, very replayable. So we've all uh, spoken about what we did first option, but of course you can then retrace your steps back to uh, the second option and go and press office first and then go back to the, to the restaurant thereafter. So if you depress office and restaurant, you are attacked by quite a lot of zombies down in the dungeon part. There are a huge amount, about six, I think, maybe more, uh, in order to get the clear jewel, whatever it's called. So that's the only real difference for that one. Do you have any problems with that, George? You must have ran out of ammo if you keep taking down the nemesis. Oh, yeah, because that's what confused me a little bit about always doing uh, the restaurant first, that when you obviously when you do that, you don't actually get anything in there. You know, you, you, you use a lockpick to open the uh, like cabinet thing and, and you get that metal bar oh. out. All that does is trigger the the Nemesis battle, but you don't actually get any item there because then you get the green jewel. So yeah, that's the first time then that I found the green jewel back in the uh, back down. Because yeah, that's the thing. I went back down there just to, out of curiosity to see what was down in the basement thing where the sewer is. If you do it a second though, you're greeted by about seven or so zombies. That took me by surprise. You're right. And see, this is the thing that I was using to conserve ammo because 
it's a shame even on hard mode and there is a lot about this game that is very demanding in terms of the bows and and if, if you go out of your way to kill nemesis on every encounter but there's so many you know so many herbs particularly yeah, yeah. also when you kill nemesis you get so many health sprays so i've been doing this recently i think on resident evil zero is just basically taking the hit and pushing the zombies out of the way and getting a few bites and then just you know conserving ammo and just going through the health sprays and, and the herbs so that's how i conserve the ammo Okay. Uh, what about the other route? If you did the restaurant first and then went to the press office, what's your uh, what do you experience there, Batman? That's the only difference, isn't it? If you go to the restaurant first, the duels in the press office, and and vice versa. And obviously, the nemesis doesn't turn up, does he, at the second place you go to? Any interesting experiences during these? No, not really. I mean, I think there's only a couple of zombies inside the press office if you go there second. There's a couple of files, isn't there? I think there's a file from a reporter who talks about the city being barricaded by the military and that he thinks the virus isn't spread via airborne transmission mm. uh, and i think there's a couple and of then fo- the two and the two photos yeah the yeah. one of the zombie and the one of the police and then nemesis reappears yeah and i think if you examine all the clutter on the desks it gives you a description about how they've obviously been investigating all the bizarre murders that have been happening running up to the uh, the virus leak and there's a nice i think there's a notice board outside the press office which you if you examine it it says something about an exclusive the incident in the arkley mountains uncovered yes that's outside isn't it on the wall yeah so little things like that are nice it's a nice little location in the press office yeah can i just interrupt for a second i had to go look up what george was talking about because i'm so curious i can't remember carlos saying that at all and i just heard it and i'm just going to say this for you <laughs> oh, that killed just so you know, I'm not into that pain is pleasure thing, okay? Just deal with it. That thing wants me dead. We've got to get out of here. <laughs> See, I'm not into the pain and pleasure thing. Yeah, I'm not into that pain is pleasure thing. Okay, that's great. So, what, and like, like what Sean was saying, that's the first time I've ever seen that cutscene or, you know, had an opportunity to really enjoy that dialogue. That little clip there just reminds me, and I said this on the stream, and I'll just do it as a brief aside here, that I don't think Catherine Disher's voice is the best for Jill. Uh, I don't think it really fits, but her performance is absolutely excellent. It, mm. you know, not, not to take anything away from her at all. It's it's, it's a great yeah. performance. I think that's actually a good point. You're right. I think I do agree with that in terms of just like the tone of her voice in terms of, what you know, of Jill. It doesn't actually fit the character, which isn't is no fault of her own. Um, I just will go on to say the press office is uh, where most people doing the Jill's diary uh, run, where you've got to collect all the game files in order. This is the room where most people fuck it up. I think you've got to go past one of the yeah. files and get the one further into the room first and then come back and grab the other. Most the people photo, just is it the photo first and then the, the diary, yeah, the journalist diary. diary second, yeah. 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 It says photo, photo diary not photo diary photo because you get the photo downstairs <laughs> I, really I was, I was trying to do it several times i'd always fuck it up there that's the right order and the one that you want to find second is right at the back of the room but i think it's that room isn't it sean and also the other one for me that really fucks up jill's diary yeah. is when i go into that room where you find nikolai on on his laptop and i think there's a fax oh that's and the a, other one yeah which oh we'll yeah the, man, the manager's report and the business yes report, yeah. i always pick up the fucking wrong one yeah, <laughs> yeah you have to do the, you do the report first and then the fax second for the unaware jill's diary is a, a final unlockable file but in order to get it you have to pick up every single file in the game in the correct order they appear in like the file screen in jill's inventory just Just including the two game instructions right at the start which also throws people out if they forget to you have to open them up just one file wrong will make that bust for that playthrough 
All right, so we, we've done that. You get the second jewel, and then you kind of come to the city hall part, which is a nice kind of Y junction, isn't it? And you've got different options, different routes going in various directions. And uh, the first port, of course, I suppose, is going to make your way to the tram where you encounter Carlos, Nikolai, and poor Mikhail. But this is the key point because this is where the game tells you you need three items to progress onwards. Uh, so you can kind of mark it on your maps as to what you need, oil and the fuse and power cables you should you should already have a power cable at this point i might add, but there we go this is where you kind of meet with the team and nikolai comes across as clearly not being quite on the same page as everyone else i'm not sure is it his accent it could be it doesn't sound quite as uh, accommodating towards towards the rest but there we go this is kind of your meeting point and then you can look at your map and then decide what, what you want to go for next uh, and that involves picking up various things that's your main quest and this is something Sean uh, has already kind of mentioned if you go back to this cable car before you have completed your task you get a nice little bonus scene Star Tarrant talk us through it so i would seen this scene before but I didn't know the exact criteria of it and as I had the scene with uh, Nikolai and uh, Mikhail and all that I'd started heading out and I did like a pause of the emulation got the guys to choose which of the three locales and what to go to first and they had me go to the the station and as I was on my way there uh, I think it was Sunny said head back now you go back and you find Mikhail fighting a few of the zombies now the variation is here there is a barrel laid on the ground by one of the entrances to the cable car at the back and I'd used that to take out a load of the zombies. Now, if the barrel is still there, you get a really neat scene where Mikhail's shooting a few of the zombies. He then rolls the barrel toward a group of them and detonates the barrel and kills them all. Because I'd already blown up the barrel, I'd got an entirely new version of the scene, which I had, in 20 years of playing this game, never seen before, where he shoots the first few out with the, his assault rifle. And then when the group turned up that he would usually roll the barrel toward, he pulled out a hand grenade and just threw it at them and blew them all up. It was amazing. Never seen that scene before in my life, the hand grenade mm-hmm. version. And I think oh, quite wow. a few people on the stream hadn't seen it either. I think, did you seen it before, GT? No, no, I've never, because when it was coming up, I was presuming, oh, that you're going to see the sort of the scene that's not often seen, you know, when he does with the barrel. And uh, yeah, fantastic. And again, like just so many little yeah. things that the modern remakes just don't offer. This is kind of funny to me. I That kind of surprises me, but I guess it doesn't surprise me. Because first and foremost, a lot of people don't even know that the whole sequence of going back to, if you go back there, I think you have to, I think you have to have visited one of the locales and got one of the items at least for the, to then bring it back, car, yeah. But then go back to put it in. I think you have to get at least one. It's less than four anyway. If you have three of them and go back, you still get it as long as you don't get all four. But the interesting thing is to me is that the enemies change in that area when you first arrive. You either get two zombie dogs, I think it is, or three zombie dogs, two at first and a third, or you get zombies. And then when you come around the corner, there's more zombies by the cable car. Now, interestingly for me, quite often what I would get it, I would get the zombies there. So therefore, I would use that barrel. Which means every time I would go back there, I would always get the scene of him throwing the grenade so i knew about the grenades then i also knew about the barrel one because i'd seen that as well but that seems that's better planning to me so that makes you understand because obviously if you hit the zombie dogs you didn't usually blow up the barrel because they all appear at the burning fire end of the cable car whereas the zombies which you meet if you come in there and the zombies they're spread out including there's a group i think of three by the barrel so most people tend to use the barrel to kill them in one shot but that's good game planning because it means if as long as you revisit mikhail both times you're going to get those two variations of the scene but also it's quite cool that there is even a variation to begin with it's kind of like the brad thing you were talking about earlier when you, if you left the room and then came back in that they've actually thought about these things yeah. 
I never knew about any of it, and I have to give full credit to Kat because I was watching her on a stream, and she did it, and I was like, oh my god, I've never seen it. Um, I was very eager when uh, Stars did his stream to make sure we triggered that cutscene, but I had absolutely no idea if that that was the case. I'd, I'd, wow. you, yeah, well, you, you get so much inventory space, you don't necessarily I, need to kind of go back and forth. You can just keep it all in your box and then just bring it along with you. I think part of it for me as well is that Resident Evil 3 came out at the, I want to say, the height of my fandom in actuality. Like, when I think about it, like, when 3 was due to come out was about the time I was, you know, striking out on my own for my own website properly. Like, I'd been working working on my own website for most of 1999 but i think i launched in about august or september of that year and you know i planted that game so many times like i went through and got on the epilogue files on the japanese version <laughs> you know and i got all of them but i you know there was translations online so i knew vaguely why they weren't the best translations but they were translations and so i knew what was in them and then eventually north american and european versions came out so i replayed it then so i've played the original game like i played through it like you know, 10 times easily just on the japanese version probably another 10 times plus between the us and the pal version so i don't think there's anything i haven't seen now but i just remember having these same conversations back then or did you know if you did this and then this you can see this no i didn't know that oh cool i'll go have a link somewhere play it I'll... batman did you did you trigger the cutscene? yeah i mean you know it's completely optional in that there's no need to do it is there but it is such a cool little scene i always end up doing it every single playthrough i actually knew about the grenade one as well this is years ago i actually shot the barrel by accident i just thought because it's something mikhail needs you won't be able to shoot it in real time so when you did i was actually shocked and and obviously you know he uses the grenade instead but it's a cool little scene it you know it gives a little bit more characterization to mikhail so uh, yeah i i do it every single time i play it there's a bit of foreshadow to uh, the scene with the nemesis later on. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So the first kind of position within Raccoon you can go to, uh, I think let's start with probably the best one, the gas station, Stagler gas station. And of course, depending on which route you've taken beforehand, then that determines who you meet in Stagler gas station. So George, you were, you were explaining before we recorded, who, who did you meet? Um, just very quickly, just going back to that little thing with, with, with Mikhail, the, the little dialogue between Jill and Mikhail after he, you know, blows up all the zombies, I think, again, it, it's quite nice. And because Batman made a point I thought was really good that I hadn't really thought about before, that it really comes across in, and it comes across in that, that scene how much animosity Jill has for Umbrella. And they talk about, you know, whether he's taking out his hatred for losing his comrades on the zombies. And Jill explains, well, they're just as much victims as dying comrades are. I, th- I thought that was nice. Then goes back to what Batman was saying. And yeah, and, I, and in, in Stagler, again, because I made a point of going there as early as possible and obviously must have done it out of order than I normally do because I've always had Carlos in Stagler. And again, it was just so cool. Just suddenly, oh, fucking hell, Mikhail's there. Uh, sorry, uh, Nikolai's there. And he just sort of says something like, oh, I'm just going off into the back room, goes off into that... <laughs> that room and so i go in there to see what he's up to and um <laughs> he's kind of like an estate agent because if you sort of kind of troll him and sort of walk around and move and go up to him and try and get him i was trying to you know trigger a little bit of dialogue or something because i've never seen it before and he's staring up at the ceiling like you know you've got a bit of, you know you've got a bit of damp up there love you know that, that'll take 10k off the price and then i went up to there to try and get him to say something and i was getting in his way so he moved away from me and he walked into the middle of the room you know by the oil soaked floor and he kneels down like i just imagine him thinking oh are these are the original floorboards you, you've got here and then, and then he goes and looks and say yeah it's a bit strange and it's a shame it doesn't really actually all joking aside explain what he's doing in there because you get a little explanation you know from carlos and a bit of dialogue and all that great stuff you know sean will talk about that he saw but yeah i've never seen nikolai there before i had nikolai's we obviously did quite a similar i hope this is not chris's oil but yeah um it was <laughs> jesus 
can I quickly ask, honestly, am I the only person here that for that puzzle with ABC all these years, I just literally just press random things until I get it? Yeah, so I've got do. no I idea do. what's going. Yeah, I do that. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Each button it? combination does a two together sets another light off. So when you just have to have one light, there's two buttons. It's usually two buttons as a combination gives you adds or well, subtracts the other letter. Right. So pretty straightforward. I think I've presumed it was more complicated than it was and just lazily not try to work it out. Okay. <laughs> so Carlos encounters that that should I think should be you three. Yep. Yeah. No, but you, you do have a little choice here as well, don't you? Because he comes in, then the zombies, then he wants to become all action hero, and then he goes out, and then you can go out and meet him, can't you? And watch yeah. him get annihilated. Yeah. Well, you get this absolutely hilarious war cry moment from him. Where he just fires his uh, assault rifle, and then you go back into the gas station after he's killed the zombies. And I didn't realise that you can go back out again or whatever, and then he will actually leave, which is pretty cool because then it makes the actual FMV more canon because he's obviously not in it with it in any variation when Jill's running from the explosion. Yeah, it always made me laugh when you just see her running away beforehand. They were both there, and then she's running away, and then both of them get up. Yeah, it always makes me laugh. Yeah, shout out to Sonny for that one because he told me about And again, that's another little scene I'd not seen. If you go out another time and get Carlos to actually leave, then you can carry on doing the rest of the Stagler gas station. I didn't struggle with the puzzle. I thought it was actually one of the simpler ones, to be honest. Did I get gunpowders outside? Nick, you'll remember. No, did I get gunpowders you... outside or did I get the herbs? You had red herbs. You definitely don't have any gunpowder because I was ready because they sit on the table. But as what Rob yeah, said. The, the herbs are there regardless. The gunpowders switch. Yeah, uh, between there and the where if you find the oil in this in the sales office. Because I actually said on stream, I never remembered there ever being red herbs there. I think you always get the red herbs, but I could be wrong. They might swap to somewhere else as well. No, because I was going to say I normally get the red herbs, but maybe it's why I didn't get them this time around when I was finding. Uh, Nikolai in there for the first time. I know where they swap, sorry. Uh, so it's either outside the gas station or in the um, power station, the red herbs. And then uh, the yeah, the three gunpowders sitting on the table in the gas station or they are on the shelf near the oil additive in the sales office. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. Um, and I just love Stagler when, you know, after it, I mean, again, I love that cutscene. And when you go back after it's sort of blown up, I just love those, you know, those explosions, those sort of random individual explosions. Yeah, still stuff going, yeah, like oil yeah. cans and stuff. Still yeah. Going. I've always had issues with the gas station when I look at it in the layout, both in the map and the surrounding buildings, and that it's like this random gas station surrounded by buildings in every direction. And I'm like, how the hell the cars <laughs> get in and out of here? Even when there isn't like all these buses stuff for activity, there's not a lot of space. So I always kind of found that mm. kind of funny. The other bit, I was just thinking back to when um, George was talking about Nikolai looking around. Uh, inside of the shutters has the reverse print of the bus on it, and it's always bugged me. I don't know why. It says Midtown 33, and if you look at it, it's like some of the same stuff that's on the bus that's outside the parking garage. We'll say as well that the eagle-eyed amongst you will know that obviously there's two Back to the Future references at the station. There is a DeLorean in the forecourt and the mm-hmm. photo of Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd and... Uh, oh, the lady. From Back to the Future 3, yes. They're actually wanted by the RPD, aren't they? So they've obviously abandoned the DeLorean outside the Stagler and made a run for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> Stri- stripped over all the time parts. Yeah. Box standard DeLorean with an American flag draped over the top of it. I actually think the Carlos variation here is the better one because there's no mm. there's no realistic way Nikolai could survive that explosion for a start. And nope. I think it's really cool when you hear the zombies approaching and you, they make that really unique noise and you just see like a, a line of them approaching the uh, the petrol station. I thought that was really cool. Can I just say something very quickly? I, I sort of forgot to mention before. Batman talks about the noise they make. Just throughout the game, what I just absolutely love is in sections where you don't get a soundtrack, you just get that really. It's like a mix of the this haunting moaning, you know, of the dead in the distance, and then you get I think you get sort of sounds of crows as well. But you also get the wind and kind of the sound of the wind and the moaning zombies kind of mixes into each other, and you just get this like just this amazing haunting, you know, it's mm. a sound. It's, it's wonderful. Just take time to listen to that. Okay, we can then head to. I think we're going to head to the power station. By this time, you would have encountered the drain demon or brain sucker. I think when you return there, you can get the brain sucker. I think that's mm-hmm. more yeah, in the hard in the hard modes. Yeah, a lot more problematic than I remember. But a couple of shotguns should sort them out. But it's just the yeah, poisoning so, that's the most annoying. Yes, yes, there is obviously the eternal blue herbs in the uh, garage, so that's your your potential saving grace. Um, power station lovely shot of the power station as you come down I took the time to appreciate once you destroy the zombies and the Claire Redfield zombie that's there um, which we pointed out on the community stream to everyone is a, a zombie that's wearing the same attire as Claire Redfield very nice but yeah I, I love the shot of the the power station and you know it's in deep black but you can see all the kind of electricity pylons it gives a big sense of scale to that particular area and I, re- I really like the power station because you've got a puzzle and a live selection. Anyone want to talk about the puzzle first? The puzzle's really easy because it's just trial and error if you don't know it, but you can, it never changes. What I do like about it is that if you don't do it before the live selection, then it changes the puzzle. Yes, yeah. I got it wrong. What did I do? I think I opened the wrong one first or something like that. And then the zombies burst through. Or, you know, this live section came up and I was... I hadn't got the grenade launcher at this point. I was worried that because because I chose to uh, fry them with the electricity, I was worried that the actual thing would be busted and I wouldn't get my grenade launcher and I was saving all my A and Bs to make C gunpowders to make freeze rounds and I was generally having a moment. I was like, oh no, 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 have I fucked up the entire game? But thankfully, you can still use the machine. Can I just ask, because it's always been my fear, because it, it just definitely gives that impression, doesn't it, that if you muck up, that you're going to then just seal, seal it off and you won't be able to get either the grenade launcher or... or no. Or, is it not possible the, the, to not get it? No. So the the implication is more about the, the manual mode switch is just to set right. up the electricity thing. So the puzzle before the live selection only impacts the left door, which is the one that has the... I'm going to say fuse? Fuse, yes. So the yeah, fuse is in there. Yeah. So the weapon side door, which is the right one closest, never changes regardless. So that puzzle always stays the same, but it's just the left side one for the fuse that changes depending on whether or not you activate it before or after the live election. So, I said, there's the option here of either overloading the power supply, which has the lovely scene of, of decapitating zombies. Yeah, that's what I always do. It's I so, always do that. It's so it cathartic, and the noise as their heads blow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Predating that scene in uh, Kingsman, everyone's heads exploded, if only they puffed out in giant rainbow colours. <laughs> <laughs> The other option is emergency exit, isn't it? I think that's yeah. So it's that little, and which again you can only access if you do that live solution from crew. Is that that door that on the outside is locked? Then when you mm, oh, yeah. okay. If you search the door, I think there's items. If you go look by it, there can be random items, maybe there or not. I can't remember this, but I'm struggling with. Because yeah. you can also find red herbs. Can't door, you? and she she makes a comment about how it's like either rusted shut or it's firmly shut, which is why she smashes yeah. into it. 
a few times to get it bolt and knock it open beforehand if you have a click on the inside door beforehand. Okay. Yeah, that's the route I took because I was hoping... In fact, I thought it was a guaranteed appearance when you go out that way that the nemesis is on the roof and you get that little scene of the zombie about to attack you and he fires the rocket to destroy the zombie and then he jumps down to attack. I thought that occurred every time if you picked that option, but when I did that, he wasn't there at all. Oh, when you go back outside, yeah, I forgot about that. Mm. Yeah, it didn't happen for me, but I do remember it's one of the options he appears. I've definitely had it before because I've used the... There's that red thing on the wall that you can shoot. The bomb, um, yeah. The bomb thing. I've used that because he's chased me out the elevator before. <laughs> I can remember. Yeah, it's, yeah um, I another I one of those ones, like the bus that we, we mentioned earlier on, past the shopping district outside the press office. He appears at random in some of them. It's like some of the triggers also appear at random. You know how like, the zombies jump out of the doors of cars and stuff? They sometimes trigger earlier or later. You can sometimes go past like one time and it won't trigger. And then sometimes you can go past like three times before it triggers. And even coming back through, was it from the where the garages, the crows bursting out of the windows of the bus? Sometimes it happens yeah, on your yeah. way downtown to uptown. Sometimes it happens coming back from mm. uptown to downtown. The game just decides which way it wants to do it. Recently, I've seen the director, Ayama-san, has mentioned that you know they, they really put a lot of effort into trying to get as much randomization as possible just to give that feeling of constantly you know playing a different game or, or just giving it so much more replayability and uh, yeah because I think you, you really do feel it don't you compared to Resident Evil 2 even with the ammo like Wombi says the zombies that either burst out of some of the cars at particular moments there's just so many different things it almost it's like no matter how many times you play this you're always going to get if not something different just a slightly different combination or sequence of events uh, Stars? Well the um, community actually had me go to the uh, power station last ah. but when I was there again the live selection came up and y'all had me um, blow up the zombies heads <laughs> which uh, Sunny mourned because I think I was on track for the nemesis appearance if we'd gone out the emergency exit. Ah, so um, there is a criteria, I think. I also picked up the grenade launcher there because obviously that's where you get the other weapon, depending on which you got in the station. And uh, it was pretty uneventful for me, to be honest. I don't think I got any gunpowders there. I think I got mine in the pharmacy because you sometimes get the three yellow powders, don't you? Mm, yeah, so they're on the shelf closest to the exit emergency exit or that's what i was trying to remember earlier yeah, on it's b yeah, b yellow ones, yeah. ones yeah they're swapped with somewhere else again this this is the whole thing i can't remember all of them it'd actually be interesting if someone's made a chart of all those item swaps i, I think it's impressive you remember roughly where they are I think it's incredible i, I just re- <laughs> i just remember them like when i see them i'm like oh if they're not there they're somewhere else like i remember some of them and not others like oh. um, the shotgun shell is always the first one that pops to my mind the one i mentioned earlier with marvin if they're not by marvin they're in the briefing room in RPD and some of the green herbs are in certain places like there's uh, yeah more green herbs that appear beside the blue herbs with you know, with the fire hoses for example and they change somewhere else and uh, yeah it's kind of a good thing and it's also kind of a bad thing because certain runs like say I mean, it must be interesting for people who are speedrunners in this game too based on certain strategies they'll hope for certain conditions and I wonder if that means like they get so far into the game and they see oh these items aren't here I can't play with these conditions restart yeah possible possible interested to know okay the final destination and our little hunt for various options and gizmos to escape on the cable car we go to the sales office which again is a nice little area and there's a couple of different things it depends on what your drug of choice is when you access the pc and then that's obviously your password to get into the doors and etc etc i always get aquacure i don't think i've ever got anything but aquacure <laughs> so much so i was so confident it would be aquacure i didn't even look at the pc i just went straight to the thing and typed in aquacure and it opened and i was like i always get aquacure 
But I can't spell the others. In fact, I struggle to remember <laughs> the, 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 the other think, two are. Sasprin Sas- and Adraville. And Ed, Ed Adraville, yeah. What I love about these is we don't, you know, we don't often see, we just see Umbrella kind of, the, you know, the surreptitious side, you know, the, the evil behind the scenes side. But, you know, we don't often see their kind of, their public side. And I just, just even these little three adverts, you know, I think when I first saw this for the first time, almost took me by surprise that this is the lovely caring side of Umbrella that, that's there to provide these, you know, pharmaceuticals. That wonderful tune that goes behind the yeah. commercial. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I think that uh, Equicure is like the one that you get like, uh, it's it's disproportionate. Something like eighty percent of the time. Oh, okay, right. Okay, so right. it's probably why you get it most. Like pretty much every time you played it, is that you can remember? Because um, <laughs> I, I think it's the one that most people go. I got Adraville, the my most most recent play. So that was a nice nice change. I was going to say the trip back is quite perilous in some respects. There's a lot of enemies. If you've kind of avoided killing a lot of enemies, you've got a lot of enemies left behind. Yes. Enemies that you've uh, have killed of. Uh, even if you clear them out, may have respawned new enemy types. Um, yeah, you're going to back to, back to the RPD, basically. Don't you? Yeah, basically. Yeah, uh, I pick up the fire hose. If you want to, you can all go right back to the start of the game, obviously. But because you've got the Jill's diary, haven't you? You've got to get that Dario Rosso little mm-hmm. note at the right moment for Jill's diary. I think it's after the sales office. If I'm correctly, someone correct me if I'm wrong. But I'm I think you're right. You get the two. You get the two files in the save office. But I think then you have to get Dario's yeah. notes. And then obviously use the using the the wrench. And then uh, again, obviously after using it at the gas station, if you've gone to the gas station. Uh, yeah, and then obviously the who's in the sales office changes depending on again on which path you picked restaurant or sales office. If you went to restaurant, you'll get Carlos at the petrol station, so you get Nikolai basically murdering Murphy, and oh, and then being very suspicious and sneaky and then disappearing while screaming which I've never quite understood that but when the zombies burst through the window you hear like this for lack of a better term and then obviously yeah and then there's obviously an alternative for the people that went to the sales office I like using the steam pipes on the zombies that's always fun yes yes you can take off a few but old Murphy's Murphy seek old bless him yeah if you went to the press office first he's very upset with himself he begs you to kill him he's asking Carlos to yeah yeah Carlos refuses to do so at first Mm. you get another hello Hilarious Carlos war cry as he shoots Murphy to death and there's blood mm. going absolutely everywhere. <laughs> Dude, just shoot him once in the head. You don't need to fire a whole round of your assault rifle clip into him. <laughs> Go on, Stas. What, what was your experience in the... So obviously I got I got Nikolai. I got the um, amazingly delivered, not now, I'm busy. And I've actually just checked back. This is where I got all my gunpowders. So I got all the red and all the yellow here. Rob. Ah, that's so crazy. So if they're not in the power area and they're not in the fuel station, they're all there. That's crazy. Thankfully, I'd been pretty um, good with my inventory. So I was able to pick them all up. And this was the moment where the Batman joined Dream and guessed because he would only ever get it right. There's no way he'd ever get it wrong. But he got the um, fact that I was going to get Adraville on the uh, monitor and the computer login. And for most players as well, they'll know that this is the point where you get the decent crank, the one that doesn't break. So this is where you do, you're at the closest possible point to the beginning of the game to go back and mm. see Dario, which is what I did. The community had me go there after. And pick up the grenade rounds too with the crank. I'd forgotten yeah, about and, that. And Dario's diary. And you get more powders in the container. I I did not go get those grenade rounds. I regret doing that. I could have done with those. (laughs) And you see his daughter. Yeah, which you you guys all made me do, didn't you? I was trying to, I was really struggling to find out 
there was lots of people on the stream going, no, no, that way, that way, no, no, the other way, the other way. And I was like, which fucking door am I going through? But we it, got it there. right in the end. And it's a nice bit of headcanon that, that Darrow hears her, and that's why he comes out, and then he dies, because the zombies are in there. That's nice. I like that. Batman, what about you? Did you did you go back to Dario? I did. I had Nikolai in the sales office. But what I like when you go back to Dario is the little subtle differences in the streets. For example, if you go in the street round the back of Bar Jack, not only have the zombies respawned, but there's like a couple of extra civilian bodies that have been eaten alive on the floor that aren't there the first time you go through. Um, mm. And I went on my first run through fire escape you were talking about earlier Rob with the kendo van I deliberately left the herbs up there so I thought I can go and get them this time round but the fire escape is actually retracted yes and I was going to say yeah, you have no way of getting up, up there yeah which yeah. I, I didn't know about so uh, that was interesting yeah. this is what I was talking about before the level of detail in these backgrounds and what they yeah. achieve so crazy like just little switches without you realizing and graphical changes and like the gas station especially after the explosion is just such an impressive change to me like they had to remodel everything having bits of like the gas station littering like spread over the top of cars and like yeah the same with the restaurant after you throw the um the lamp and the cause the gas explosion it causes all this glass to shatter everywhere and all right so we've now collected everything that we need to collect and we now perilously head back we have um one more live selection on your way back to the cable car it's probably the most pointless one in the game but the one in the uh in the garage yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah my favorite one of all time it's so ridiculous <laughs> are you gonna climb up and let nothing happens or are you gonna fall down and something minor happens or um, i do not make a decision at all and just fall down anyway just for the air Every live selection picks one based on if you don't select, but the, they're usually the more obvious ones. So, like, for example, the first one with Fight Nemesis, if you don't pick anything, you just stand there like an idiot. So you yeah. end up either fighting him. I think at the restaurant one, you end up throwing the lamp, but Carlos tells you to hide, for example. So you get a variation, slight variation based on that as well. I think if, if you don't make a choice in the restaurant, doesn't Nemesis just attack you anyway? Well, I don't think it does. I thought Carlos... Am I imagining? You know, I'm pretty sure Carlos says run this way or something. I think the fight just starts as normal. It doesn't act yeah, because I think I just saw a speedrunner and he he made the live selection end early so he could just fight Nemesis in the kitchen. Yeah, there we go. Well, for this one, I just climbed up and that was it. So that was about as exciting as that one gets. But <laughs> I know and for a fact you get an early glimpse of the Gravedigger's malted skin. Everyone wanted me to go and have a look. And you get the little worm versions if you uh, hang around. Yeah, the sliding worms, don't you? Which then leads on to, obviously, the first boss fight. Before you get back to the cable car, you get the first grave digger fight. Fall down the hole, yeah. Which is not much of a fight. You basically push two buttons and go up a ladder if you avoid it. He deals huge damage, the grave digger. My usual trick is he appears in front of you when you, obviously, from the cutscene, and then I immediately go right. I avoid him straight away. And then I wait for him to start appearing like he's going to pop out of there, then turn around, run to the next button, hit that, wait again for him to appear, then run to the ladder, hit the button. The ladder comes down, and by the time you go to click on it again, he's just about to pop out of the one at the end closest to the ladder. But I messed it up this last time and just went straight to the second button and just hit it and then ran straight to the ladder and I hit that and just as I hit the button he came started popping out and I was like ah oh, should be fine 
and then hit the button and the cutscene with the ladder going bump 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 comes down and i was like oh cool i can just run straight for the ladder and he hit me he actually ended up hitting me twice but i didn't die it just took a reasonable amount of health but it didn't like put me on like i was on full health so it took me down to caution but i managed to get out it didn't kill me so i and maybe i just got lucky if you stand right maybe it's if you get hit by all the claws it does like four times the amount of damage whereas i was on the left so i only got hit by two of them. maybe maybe batman did you did you fall or jump i jumped well, down I like it on a quick look at the Gravedigger as well. But yeah, it's it's a pointless one, that one, isn't it, really? It is a bit pointless. And yeah, it's quite right that we then speak about the, the kind of minor Gravedigger boss. A distraction for your ultimate end goal of heading to the cable car and then the Mikhail scene with the Nemesis, which is pretty cool, pretty cool. My only disappointment with this kind of part of the game is that it, and this is obviously down to the limitations, it, the whole point is to use the cable car to kind of bolt through the hordes of the undead and use it as like a battering line. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you never see it because it's just done, <laughs> done in pitch black. Um, I don't want to dwell too much on the video because it's probably not a lot of point, but the you then are then greeted with the next selection choice. So your options here is to either jump out the window or use the emergency brake. Uh, the emergency brake is default option as well. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. It determines which end of the clock tower you enter into, either on the west wing or the east wing. It also has a big impact on how Jill and Carlos interact. Oh, yeah. Well, yes, that's true. Yeah, well, Because yeah. especially Jill calls Carlos a coward for... You get the, the bitch, bitch slap, don't you? Yeah, and that's, that's become a bit of a meme. <laughs> so there we go. It's also important as well, if you use the emergency brake, that's when Carlos helps you in the battle in the courtyard as well. Whereas if you jump out the yes. window, he doesn't turn up. He doesn't help. He thinks you're a coward and just leaves you to it. So what did everyone pick? I emergency breaks and went that way through the main entrance bit. There's a bit more opening at the beginning. There's loads of crows, isn't it? You see they get the FMV and all the crows go like that. And then you go run. I love that shot from when Jill arrives in the courtyard and the camera pans up showing the full extent of the uh, clock tower. Tell, yeah. Proper good hub area. I love, I love yeah. that. It's just yeah. a great little shot, and I wish they did more of that in the games. Again, another thing that they just really embraced more in the technology in this game that you know, another pre-render titles could have done more of is mm-hmm. these the abilities to have these cameras pan and you know, look. We're mentioning some of these areas, and it, again, I think that's what puts it up. I, I was surprised to hear it got that 10 out of 10, because I always thought it was kind of treated in retrospect as kind of the, the poor relation to RE2. But so many of these locations, you know, Stagler, you know, the, the clock tower, the, the press office, just for all these areas are just absolutely fantastic, and each one done so well, and, you know, all with their, each individual little randomization. You know, they've all got personality to them, each one of these locations, and, and we'll get to it, you know, the hospital as well is one of my favourite areas. And I think almost even the smaller ones kind of almost more interesting than a lot of the areas that we've got in the RPD. So you head into the clock tower and this is just puzzles galore, isn't it, folks? We've got lots going on. We get the giant spiders. Uh, we're welcome to them. And I was introduced to a new technique with the giant spiders with Stars Tyrant. Uh, run. <laughs> um, I think I make, used to make the fatal error of just trying to actually battle them. But uh, Stars Tyrant showed me the error of my ways and there's absolutely no need to fight any of them. You can bolt past all of them, the ones on the top of the first floor and the ones at the back. Well, you just got to be careful, the one at the back, because one of the mercenaries on the floor is holding an item. So you've got to get there first uh, without the uh, without yeah. the spiders. So let's start our adventure in the clock tower. Let's do some of the puzzles. We have the nice music puzzle going on upstairs up in the in the clock tower and that's when so you'd have got the uh the disc the kind of silver disc you put in and then you've got to match up the sounds of uh of what the puzzle should be and then you know so forth 
we, 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 all know, we all know that. But before you get to that point, you've got to have decided what you're going to do with Big T himself, Tyron. Are you going to shine the light in every corner of our hearts, or are you going to use the cord to zap him? And that's another freebie. So uh, let's see. Uh, Star Tyron, what, what did the community pick for you? Well, first and foremost, the community also um, made me do the emergency brake variant. Right. So I- I started outside the clock tower as well. I didn't start in the far save room. And then when we got to the Nemesis, I actually had a bit of a surprise because I honestly thought everyone would have me throw the cable and fry him in the in, in the rainwater. But no, it was pretty unanimous, actually. It and was. I pushed him off the balcony, which then people did tell me means he won't turn up at all for the rest of that clock tower segment until the boss fight, which I never knew. There we go. Batman, what did you do? Yeah, I used the emergency brake and I used the cord because I wanted the freebie. I'd already actually got the shotgun by this point. I knocked Nemesis down on the last scripted encounter before the cable car, which is the corridor outside of City Hall, so that's when I got the shotgun. So when I knocked him down this time, I got the second pack of aid sprays. George? I thought to get the unlimited choice of ammunition at the end, I had to down him on the train. I mean, I then used the emergency brake. And then on the clock tower, not knowing the particular consequence, I pushed him off, only because I think normally I, I use the lights. And I just wanted to see, again, kind of trying to subvert what I normally do, just trying to get something different. Fair enough, fair enough. So interesting life selections that then leads to possibly one of the greatest revelations in a puzzle game only to be redacted fairly swiftly thereafter we are of course talking about the precious ball puzzle which people will know you pick up the three balls the obsidian the crystal and the amber ball and then you've got to put them in the clock and so forth and then put them in the right order and then that changes the time you've got to get to midnight blah blah we all know and it's it's been known for many, many years as being one of the most problematic and difficult. It's just it, you've just got to know what they all do. And it, it, it's a, a long process of time and error, and you want to probably write down what each one does. And then someone on the stream said, "Well, if you just pick up the three balls in the way in the order that you do them, and then put them on the in the clocks in the same order, it will work." And everyone was like, "No," and Yoke bless him was like, "No, no, 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 that can't be right. Can't be right." Uh, and Star Tyrant. Complete the story. Yeah, I was watching the Residents of Evil 20th anniversary stream because I, I I seem to think the Residents of Evil player struggled with it a little bit. And there was someone in the chat who said, I can't understand why people don't just put the stones in the clocks in the same order they pick them up. It works every time. And I went on Discord and everything like that saying, this can't be right. If it, if the solution was that easy, we'd have all known about it by now. So we, we tried it live on the community stream and it fucking worked straight away. <laughs> so I think the absolute disbelief of every single person watching that night, <laughs> as well as myself, we just literally couldn't believe it. And it was actually Romby here who shattered the confidence <laughs> and joy of everybody <laughs> by saying it's purely random and it was just the random puzzle variant we got of that oh, one wow. that meant it would have worked that way. And um, I'm sure he'll elaborate now. Yeah, so it's entirely based on what the middle picture clock that you're trying to get, the time it starts at. So I can't even remember how many versions there are, but basically each stone equates to a certain number of hours forward or a number of hours back, depending on where you put it on each platform. And obviously that's related to what the pitches are if you're putting it forward or backwards in time. And uh, in that case, there's just one version where obviously if you pick the stones up and put them in the same order, it works perfectly. And I, so if you pay attention to go and look at uh, Sean's stream, then you'll be able to see when you've got the clock at that particular time. If you follow 
follow that path of picking them up and putting them in the railway, it'll work. And it obviously seems that there's this might be the one that disproportionately shows up the most. Who knows? But uh, there are other options. There are other variants, so it won't work for everyone. And obviously, if I think Nick is going to explain that it didn't work for him if he tried this. Yeah, mere 24 hours later, I was doing. I was at that <laughs> point, and I thought, right, I'm going to do this. I, I, I filmed it live, and no, uh, it, it just didn't work. But I was like, oh. <laughs> And then I reported this back to Yo, who at this point was, he, he didn't know what to believe was going on. His world had been shook upside down. But yes, it, it doesn't always work. But it's a great puzzle. I actually, I think it's one of the better puzzles in the game because there is a lot of logic behind it. Um, it just takes a bit of time. Batman, did you have any luck with this? Did you, were you able to do it straight off the bat? No, it took me about half an hour. I got extremely pissed off with it. <laughs> I just had to double check because I was like, I want to know how many. Are. There are six variants. Five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock, and eleven o'clock. Those are the six variants. And two of them are fast. I don't know which one it is, but apparently if you get eleven o'clock or nine o'clock, they're the much easier ones to do. Does anyone know the order they picked them up in? Because I was going to say, eleven o'clock apparently is amber, obsidian, crystal, and nine o'clock is obsidian, amber, crystal. So crystal's the same in both of those, and it's just the change between amber and obsidian so whatever one it must be one of those two is the one that you well it was it, it, it was it but if you want to move away from an annoying puzzle there is a nice bit of lore going on with the echo team in that room as well and you can pick up the mercenary's diary yeah, it's one of the best um, examples of environmental storytelling in the series, to be honest. Oh, yes, the mercenary with the shielding the girl. That reminded me what I really loved about this game, that if you look at that scene, and I'm sure other scenes, as Carlos, you get a different description. So if you look at that mercenary with Carlos, I think it says, oh, he must have died fulfilling his mission right to the very end, uh, whereas obviously it's different. It I is. never knew that. Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. And just the, you know, the thought, the little, the thought that went into that, whoever decided, you know, we've got to make sure that if it's Carlos that, that looks at that scene, he's clearly going to have a different reading of it than Jill. That's cool. I didn't know that. It's just a nice little subplot with Echo Team, isn't it? With the files about how they were bringing civilians there and they had to give priority to Umbrella employees. And it mentions the rescue plan for signaling the helicopter. And it, they've obviously sheltered at the clock tower. And I like to think that bells against the back door as a kind of barricade they've put there. And obviously you see the bodies, don't you? I mean, that body with the girl is a good one. But I also like the Merc who's trapped in the spider's web in the corridor outside. And I think if you examine yes. him, he says he's got like a, a look of pure pain on his face or yeah. something. And the one on the and floor with just... the mine thrower as well. The mine thrower, that's another cool little weapon. Love the mine thrower. I know Sean said I've never ever used it. At this point, this is when I get rid of the handgun and I replace it with the mine thrower because it's such good at long range. Do you get that uh, much ammo for it? You do, you get a good chunk. And because if there's a lot of group of zombies, it can take out quite a few in one bomb. Can't you get an upgraded mine thrower or something as well? If you use the infinite ammo with it, doesn't it upgrade it to homing missile or homing bombs or something? Oh, I don't know. I've never been that good at the game to get I'm sure you can get mine thrower E or something like that. That does ring a distant bell. It I, does. I can't remember, to be honest. Yeah, if you combine it with the infinite bullets case, it, it um, gains homing ability on the mines. I would recommend it though. I know you, you dismissed it when you did. I, I would recommend it. It's so if you little... manage to pick that up and then get the infinite box from the nemesis, that's actually going to turn that into one of the best weapons in the game. Because if it homes in on all enemies, you know, and basically killing them nearly instantly, and you've used the infinite ammo case, so it's going to be infinite, that's actually, that's got to be one of the best weapons in the game. And returned in what, Resi 4? Yeah, again, never used it. I don't think I've ever used it in Resident Evil 4. No, I don't think so either. There we go. So the whole clock tower is leading up to the final big fight in the kind of courtyard area. 
And this is one of the most pivotal scenes in Resident Evil history, of course, where Miss Valentine is sadly infected, not by the NET virus, that is a mistranslation, but just by a more of a potent strain of the T virus. That came out of the blue. That really did, I think. You just didn't see that happening the first time. And, oh my god, your main character is actually infected. That's quite a tough battle. What a twist it would have been if they just killed Jill and all of a sudden you took over as Carlos. Mm. Yeah, it would have. <laughs> what a bombshell that would have been, eh? I think it was quite nice that, you know, Nemesis got his target eventually, but, you know. Thankfully, anyone can create a T-Virus sample if you're near hospital. <laughs> Thankfully, if you've got freeze rounds, it makes it so much easier. The Nemesis does not like freeze rounds. And that would be my number one tip playing this game. If you combine Gunpowder C with grenade rounds, they turn into freeze rounds. And freeze rounds are blooming good. But yeah, any particular uh, stories? Anyone die at this point? It's just difficult, isn't it? Because of the virus infection gauge, you don't know what health you're on. And Yeah. When he picks mm. you up and he, he does that little, I don't know what he does, he sort of picks you up by the neck, doesn't he, and mm. messes around with his so you've got to, down, yeah. You've got to make sure, because I think that's done every three times that he hits you. I think on the third time, he'll grab you around the neck, and you've got to make sure, because if you're, if you're on anything above yellow, then you'll die straight away. Yeah, it's just the annoying combination of he throws you to the floor and nine times out of ten he's on you again before you can get yourself up and like yeah. you say, it's game over, isn't it, really? So I, I can confirm that you only get the weapon if you jumped out the emergency exit, but of course then Carlos doesn't help. But then if you use the emergency brake, you don't get the freeze rounds from him, but he turns up to help you. So. Oh, there you go. And that basically just means you Nemesis will have the rocket launcher as well in the fight or not. And it's important to note, folks, it's now midnight. That's the exact time that the uh, nemesis shoots the rocket out. So it's now technically the 29th. Yep. Leon's coming to town. (laughs) I was really proud. I didn't die this time. I was quite happy I did it the first go. And uh, I think my wife was sitting next to me and she wasn't obviously interested, but I was like, proper give myself high fives. I was like, yes! (laughs) (laughs) I actually had a a fine display of dodging in that fight, which I wasn't usually privy to. Mm. So the training had clearly worked off. Well, I considered that one, and then where you fight Nemesis back in in the Dead Factory, not the end one, but the two before that, that they're the two hardest ones. And um, yeah, this one one was a toughie. He's got his tentacles going on in this one, isn't he? So um, yes, so that, that kind of wraps up the end of the kind of clock tower. You take out Nemesis... And he then uh, is, he's upset by what's happened. You know, he feels he's done his mission, but he kind of wanders off and then, you know, he heads off to Racking University. But that's and, then, and then the spec ops turn up. And the spec ops turn up, yeah. <laughs> um, and then you're taken to the altar and uh, you take over as Carlos, which is a bit of a turn up for the books. And then you've got all of Carlos's little mini game. And how much better is is this compared to you know the mini games we have in RE2? You know, you look at what you have to do when you're Sherry Birkin, particularly, and also Ada Wong. And I know you know you get that replayability with RE2 by playing as Claire and, and Leon differently. But yeah, this mini section with Carlos, just in terms of what you do, the puzzles, the combat, and the location. I mean, we'll come to it. Just some amazing things in that hospital.
So we now have the pleasure of playing as everyone's favourite South American UBCS mercenary, Carlos Oliveira. There's a big time gap. Jill's infected on the 29th and we pick up the story and we have to go and find a vaccine. Thankfully, the hospital is next door and we do this little mini mission to go to the hospital uh, and rescue it. First, we've got to battle through the rest of the clock tower, but I think we've kind of covered all the main points through the clock tower. So hospital, we'll start with the, the kind of hospital scenes. We are first introduced to the Hunter Beaters. Uh, it's the first time the Hunters have come back since the original game. Interestingly, there's slight variations in what version people have played. So, for example, my version, which is just the standard PS1 version, uh, it's censored, which is unfortunate. But uh, other people's are not. Is that correct? Uh, mine wasn't, and it was sourced from the GameCube USA version. So you get the decapitation. I believe I did. Which is odd, because I did not get the decapitation, despite the fact that you can blow off zombies' heads. So with the decapitation, you see the head sort of roll onto the floor. You don't actually see the head being removed. The zombie you only kind of see from waist down. The difference has to do with whether or not the head actually comes off from the hunter or not. In the censored version, it stays attached with the yep. sound of the head coming off with a splattery splurt, but not coming off. The uncensored version, it comes clean off. Okay. I can't remember which one I got. I don't... But I just remember the first time I ever saw that scene, I just loved it. It was quite rare to see two BOWs and all secondary infected interacting with each other uh so yeah i just i love that about it so as we go through the hospital we have a choice whether you want to go to the basement level four or the first floor and that depends on people's choices so batman what choice did you opt for i went down to the basement first which means i ran into another supervisor called tyrell patrick and you get a nice little scene where he holds you at gunpoint uh but then he's blown up when he tries to open a safe on the wall and falls victim to one of Nikolai's booby traps. Yes, I went down that version as well. Rather odd. You stop and think about why he set that up, but I'm guessing there was a reason why Tyrrell wanted to get into the safe. Obviously, a, a UBCS kind of not rendezvous point, but a known drop-off point, perhaps, for information. Possibly, yeah. Uh, although all supervisors did have a side mission to destroy the hospital, so that might have been why he was there as well. So Ah, uh, okay. I just don't think he expected Nikolai to shoot him, because uh, you obviously, in the park later on, you see a lot of other supervisors that have been shot as well. Yes, that's true. Start Tarrant, what did the community vote for you? Community wanted me to go down into the basement, so I had the same scene as uh, John just then. Uh, George? I rarely used to get that scene. Is there a particular gameplay reason why you would go to the fourth floor first? Because I tend to always do that. I don't know if it's to do with perhaps with the getting the files in the right order to get Jill's diary. But no, on this occasion, I went down to the basement just from the point of view that I never get to see that scene and I just I wanted to see it. And again, a little bit confused by you, but what John was mentioning, do we know that bodies of the supervisors in the park were short so rather than because there's a lot of bow's you know you've got the it's the hunter gammas there and and the dogs as well i mean yeah it's possible i mean i think i'm just speculating here i just i just assume they were maybe shot because they're in close proximity to their little secret hut and, oh yeah uh, yeah Nic nikolai's going around killing people at that point so but you could be right they could easily have been killed by hunters and dogs and what no the, your, no your version is much better yeah i like that so, uh, Rob, what about you? Was uh, it a full I, house I, going basement? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. I was going to say, I mean, the other option, obviously, is if you, when you go upstairs, it's just it's Nikolai, which is actually probably the better version, to be honest. We all got the, Apart from the fact where he, where he dives out of a... Is it the fourth floor oh, yeah, window? Yeah. The fourth floor window, yeah, that bit of fear. Unless, I mean, we, we assume that it's a fourth floor window, but we don't know that there wasn't, like, a another part of a building landing 
or an awning or something. So in the basement, of course, we get to see the hunter gammas in their tubes, knowing full well that they're going to smash. <laughs> it's like, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> not very, very well telegraphed. And of course, this is the first game where there's two hunters and they look a bit different. But before you do that, you've got that bloody puzzle. Oh, my word. There's puzzles and then there's puzzles. <laughs> um, that, people complain, well, say complain, people say that the, the ball puzzle and the water treatment puzzle is difficult. This one, for me, is the proper ball lake. It doesn't kind of make any logical sense, does it? And it's not like there's a clue in any of the files. And just thinking about how Capcom or anyone else, you know, is going to be so scared to put any level of difficulty into their puzzles nowadays. You know, you look at the puzzles in Resident Evil 4, if you can even call them puzzles, and, and you look back at some of this stuff where without a strategy guide and, and running to the phone box and telephoning... <laughs> <laughs> the, the emergency Resident Evil line. It's just how, how would you work this out? You know, logically. Yeah, I mean, the water treatment puzzle you can, can't you? But with this one, I, I don't. There doesn't seem to be any sense to it other than just you know remembering it verbatim what you have to do. Yeah, I struggled. Anyone else? <laughs> No, I've always memorised that one because it never changes. It's easy to get right. And if you, you repeat the game enough to un unlock things like the epilogues, then it just becomes like, almost a muscle memory. Yeah. I don't even think about which ones they are. I just know it's you hit the action button or whatever on the first one, move to the right twice, down, go. <laughs> Oh, there we go. I've been told. <laughs> I assume no one battles the hunters at that point because you can easily avoid them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I always run away. Yeah. You run away from them. So, okay, well, we'll leave that. We then bolster upstairs to the first floor and there's that puzzle on the first floor once you've downed the uh, mass of zombies coming through the elevator. The filing, not the filing cabinet, but the, like, the medical cabinet. You've got to look at the both rooms, oh, use the files to work out where you've got to push the medical cabinet to unlock the safe. I hate that one. It's annoying, isn't it? Because you've got something you've got, if you don't remember, you've got to keep going back and forth. And going... Isn't it? Isn't it just meant to be mirrored? Yes. Yeah. 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 And then, did you get, I mean, I got Hunter beaters in that part of the hospital. Yeah. Yeah, always Hunter. I think, I think it stays that consistent to where you've gone downstairs or upstairs. There's dynamite on the walls. You can use that to your advantage if you can. But I've been very critical of the Hunter beaters. I, I don't think they're particularly effective, but they're quite I'm vicious. Like, I'm more like the look of them. But they can stun lock you very easily if you underestimate them. Yes. Yes, that's true. What I did want to say about the hospital, of course, its interactions with Outbreak are very good. I don't want to dwell too much on it. Because in Outbreak, you go to the other floors, don't you, that you don't see in this game. So to get the whole picture of uh, what, what, what Raccoon City Hospital looks like, then you can play that game. I really liked, just as a completely, totally random, the to unlock the elevator, you just had to use that voice. Use that little tape recorder. There's something about that. I just thought it was quite a, you know, simple novel touch. Gives you a hint, doesn't it, of what actually it was just a normal hospital. And then you'd read the files about how the hospitals suddenly just couldn't cope with all the influx of everyone coming in. I think the hospital's a really good example in the game, particularly so of how just with files and the pre-rendered background you can really tell a story listening to you guys kind of recount the actual gameplay it's not particularly spe spectacular you know uh, in a context of the whole game but the hospital is one of my favorite areas and just you know those files and the bodies lying around you know in as you come in in the main reception this is one of my favorite kind of mini games you know comparing it to the mini games ada and, and sherry in re2 this carlos I, I love carlos in the hospital i like that little you've got that little blood trail haven't you that goes through the nurse's station and then you find the mutilated body of the, the head doctor in his office that's pretty cool with the blood trail yeah just as an aside, I do think um, Outbreak bolts on very respectively. It does, to, yeah. Uh, the Resident Evil 3. 
um, hospital, I think that it's very easy and feasible to see them existing in the same world because of how well and respectfully it's done. Yeah, and that's despite the contrasting art styles. Mm. Uh, you know, Outbreak is very distinctive in that, but it still feels part of just like you know an upgraded version um, of it. But yeah, so uh, Rob, did you have any final hospital memoirs? No, no, not really. I mean, I just say that the best. Really, I do like the storytelling aspects of that. As you, to be fair, a lot of the final part of the game in general across the board is quite loaded the factory as well kind of the same stuff you see a story of what's been going on I think it's a really good visual storytelling and filed storytelling as well yeah and it's, it's a slightly different feel because you've got that automatic weapon makes it a bit more uh, a bit more gun-ho but that's okay you then leave we get a nice FMV of the hospital blowing up we then battle ourselves back to the clock tower where we encounter Nemesis version 2 and he jumps down we don't see him mutate though do we he's already he's already in his uh, mutated, lost the limiter coat state, and um, I think in the, the previous fight you get a hint of him using his tentacle a bit more than perhaps he did in the earlier game. Now he's all full-on tentacle mode. I assume everyone just runs here? I battled him because, again, I'm, I'm really paranoid that if you don't put him down on every single encounter, you then won't get, you know, the, the, the bonus... It's a bit easier, isn't it? Because he's not too interested in Carlos. He'll attack him a couple of times and then he'll turn and go straight for the door, won't he, and leave. So it's not the toughest battle. Yeah. What was everyone's experience at this point? Obviously rescuing Jill, saving Jill, and then leaving the clock tower. I mean, for me, it was just run. <laughs> Builds it up nicely when he's, you know, there's a bit of panic sets in if you get lagged behind and he, you go through and he's battering the chapel door. But then if you get mm. past him and go in, it, you know, he just randomly stops and disappears, which is bit of a shame. As I was saying earlier on, I do like the idea that when he smashes on those doors that you actually see physical change in the yeah. background. And it's one of the things that you know the the game constantly does. It's a core effect and it's showing you that they were thinking about new techniques even even though it was quite late in the franchise game on the on the console. So if they'd done another one in that generation we'd probably have seen an extension of those sort of animated backgrounds. You gotta think as well there was other games out there at the time that were doing static backgrounds but starting to do the animation stuff that eventually the remake also did. Like I'm thinking like Fear Effect and all those sorts of games. They had like video motion background on that same sort of 3D plane. John, you just mentioned it. There is the way of, if you don't get to Jill in time, there's a se- almost like a secret ending, isn't there? Whereby Nemesis gets to Jill first and kills her in the chapel. It's hilarious. Yeah, I'd recommend just, people Googling that. Yeah, <laughs> just slams uh, Jill into the ground repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen that. Do you yeah, know what the time limit is that you have to do it in under? No, you just leave him. You can stand around. He's so focused on smashing the door and stuff that he won't pay attention to you, so you can kind of just stand around. So we then, uh, because of Jill's inferior strength, seemingly, and unable to push a church bell, we are now able to escape. Pick up that lockpick, ladies and gentlemen. Otherwise... <laughs> You have to go back to the uh, to the save room and pick one up, and then you can basically enter the park, one of the final areas in the game, uh, leading up to the dead factory. But the park itself is randomised, isn't it? Depending on what creatures you come across, you, George has already mentioned it can be the uh, zombie dogs, it can be uh, hunter gammas, as well as a lot of uh, hunter beaters later and zombies. I never got any gammas in my playthrough, which was surprising. What was everyone's general BOW encounter rate? I got the gammas and oh yes i normally always get the dogs in that kind of little section where you've got the dead uh supervisors you know you kind of walk down that narrow kind of corridor you know outside to where there's that, that gate that's locked and you, you can pick up the magnum 
but it's and I always normally get dogs there but I got yeah I got hunters which took me by surprise it was pretty cool and and you've talked before Nick about the outside areas and they should do this more and I just, I just love the whole park area again just you know it's raining and it's dark you guys will say whether it really fits because I know in Code Veronica it's a bit of a problem with what why are there zombies I think the rain maybe is, is setting off the T-virus but you know what why are zombies rising you know from the ground but it is great you know it's like hammer horror a film isn't it it's fantastic I love those zombies coming up the gravestones but I don't know if canically that actually works with the virus the recently buried weren't they yeah recently buried there's that many bodies turning up obviously they were just all buried en masse but it was just the T-virus that stopped the hearts and because they were prior infected they were they were always going to revive important distinction then you make a good point about the rain that was the first weather effect the series had really and god it's such a simple thing made such a, a massive difference to the atmosphere in my opinion yeah they don't even use any um, soundtrack it's just literally environmental audio so you get like the, you know, the rumble of thunder and the rain hitting the floor it, mm. it was exquisite the first time I played that I remember yeah I hadn't thought of that but yeah you're right that must really kind of emphasise that point yeah th- that's interesting the way you know we've got those tracks that are so iconic in certain rooms but sometimes when you don't get the music at all it, it actually can just be as good like you say you know you could say that in- inspired the sort of direction they went in with Remake where they mm. actually let like so many sequences in that game just be silent with the rumble of thunder coming through the windows and things is it you know, I think it's one of the reasons why the remake has such an exquisite atmosphere. I totally agree, and it's that idea as well that the, I think it's as you're going through the post the explosion of the hospital, there's like the setup for the weather change. You can hear that there's a storm coming in, and mm. and it continues into that actual storm as you experience with Jill. I would completely, completely agree. And um, what's been quite interesting is it got a amp, uh, AV amp, and it has Dolby surround and whatnot. It's making a huge difference on these games. Dolby Surround is doing an absolutely exquisite job. And what you say about the the rain, it totally transformed the atmosphere. You're in the park and suddenly it's just chucking it down with rain. And it's only coming out from my speaker's to the left and right of me, not the front. And it's suddenly just feel the, you know, the room is filled with atmosphere. It feels like it's raining inside. And it, it just brought the game to life. And I thought the park section was exquisite for the same reasons that Sean just mentioned, the, kind of the actual lack of music at that point in time, the dark atmosphere, and then this rain. As I said, the, the game isn't encoded with surround sound or anything like that, but Dolby Surround will do it for you. And my God, does it do it for you. Uh, main focal point, I suppose, of the park. Well, we really briefly touched on the point with Nikolai and going into his little hut. That's where you can mess up. Can you not on your Jill's diary? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still can't remember. There's one on the table and one on like on the notice board, isn't there? I can't remember now which one you have to get first. I think it's the one on the notice board, but don't quote me on that one. What was uh, people's views on that little hut? I thought it was quite a. Um... Quite a cool little area. I don't know how they managed to get to their secret area. Is there a, there's no door, is there? Yeah, that room doesn't really make much sense, I'm afraid, Nick. Because although you could say, yeah, Nikolai put the bricks back up and put the the debris and that to make the fire, how they actually do they actually get the radio equipment in there? <laughs> <laughs> because these are not like small radio boxes in briefcases. These are large, like almost server-sized. They were, um, yeah, devices. Yeah still a cool little place though with you know the chalkboard with all the key locations in the city on and the files mentioning uh, the crocodile from resident evil 2 mm. and, and i don't know why sorry i just love the fact there's pumpkins in that little save room as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> very remake that in lisa's cabin yeah yes, yeah well, it's october in it so halloween wasn't far off 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. Environment. Is, yeah, remember when? Remember when they used to tell stories through the environment? In oh, don't. Yeah. <laughs> I think it gave off remake vibes, and um, also I thought it gave off a bit of a guardhouse vibe because it's all the kind of completely wooden area yes. as well. And of course, with Jill being there, it's yeah. like yeah. It's... And then of course Nikolai reveals that he's an asshole and says, <laughs> "Another mutant." Yes, 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 another mutant, the Gravedigger. So you've probably had earlier in the game an encounter with him in the City Hall, and he seemingly followed you, for some unknown reason, to the uh, Raccoon Park, which you're led to believe is quite a long way away from uh, City Hall, but, you know, never mind. This is a very tricky boss fight, actually. It is, yeah. Rob, how how did you get on with the Gravedigger? Because there's a couple um, of strategies you can employ here, isn't there? Yeah, you've got, you've got the uh, light posts which you can use for electrocution, and I mean, there's, you're obviously kind of full frontal assault and the water as well. So it was pretty taxing because I'd actually kind of forgotten a little bit. I mean, it's been a few years actually what to do. So not the easiest, got a bit damaged. I think that's the key point. He gives out a lot of damage, and I was, I was you know, this game generously equips you with health, but I was getting through it, and so much so that I triggered the cutscene whereby the lamp falls into the water. Oh, to give you a hint, yes. To give you the hint, oh, this might work. You know, Jaws 2 style. But yeah, that was, for me, that was the trickiest boss fight in the game. Because there's nowhere to run. It's like a C-shape, isn't it? And it's quite hard, you know, you don't quite know where he's going to come up from the ground. And I I always struggle getting those uh, telegraph poles down. I think you you just have to kind of shoot in their direction, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. You have to wait for them to become dislodged first, though. Dislodged, yeah. Uh, yeah, otherwise, yeah. And that, that cutscene in particular, once that's happened, they generally much all can fall down easily because it's at that point the game's just like telling you you can do this and they're all available. Yes, as well, yeah. So. Batman, how did you get on? Uh, yeah, fine. I normally just keep running backwards and forwards because you get little puffs of dirt shooting up, don't you? So you, you know he's going to pop up. So as long as you stay ahead of that. And it, I just seem to get lucky shooting the, uh, the lamppost. I don't normally go for it because it's really awkward to hit, but I think this time I just... I, randomly shot it by accident so I ended up electrocuting him this time okay yes yeah, yeah, same same then you need to do the electrocution once then for me he died as soon as he went into the pool yeah I, I think it's an instant kill yeah a lot of ammunition otherwise if uh, you do it traditionally the, the, mm. the thing that usually gets me often as well is the angle changes you're talking about the dirt coming up if you get the angle change just unfortunately at the same time as he's popping up somewhere and the angle changes and you can only just see the dirt as long as you get hit that's mm. the, the problematic one once you've done that that you've got to go back to get the various keys there's a bit of backtracking I thought in the in the park you spend a bit longer than I perhaps originally mm. thought because the, the whole park is completely overrun with zombies when you've got to try and make it to the dead factory exit you have to go from literally from one side all the way back to the other don't you which is a bit naughty really it's a trick that Code Veronica does too often too often when you said backtracking I is he going to say Code Veronica <laughs> Is yeah, that that well, Antarctic just, base? Just uh, briefly, just with that in mind, then just quickly throwing it back because um, we forgot to ask who did forget to bring the lockpick to, <laughs> to the uh, park office. I would have done, but Sean, you were kind, of, kind enough <laughs> to remind me on the stream. <laughs> That's all right then. With that, Nick, don't forget the lockpick. <laughs> it's like, a bastard that is when you forget to do it. So anyway, we we battled successfully through the park. Did anyone have any random kills by the uh, the gamma hunters if you encountered them at all? No, but it was no. thankfully uneventful. Uh, yeah, same. I think even if they were there, you can easily run past them. 
it seems to be. Bit yeah, as long as as, yeah, they are slow, as long as you don't screw it up or run straight yeah. To be honest, by this point, I've always um, stocked up so much standard grenade ammo that that becomes sort of my weapon of choice at this point. And gammas fall, I think, to one grenade round anyway. Uh, I was on the mine thrower by this point, which was really useful in the park because a lot of the zombies clump together and you and you can take a lot of them out with just one mine throw, which is good. Mm. I'd, I'd recommend it, Sean, if you ever replay again, it's good. Mm. Um, Rob, I'm sure you can correct me. If you use it, they then give you more ammo. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's, there's points. It's not a lot, but you can get some more. I think I had by the end of the year, I had 24, which is actually quite a lot. And I used that all up because they, they were quite handy to take out you know, the zombies by the time you get to the dead factory. They're just annoying cannon fodder, aren't they? So they're quite useful to take out. Dead factory, talking of which, we get the park key, we exit, we get to a nice suspension bridge. Which has a map of Raccoon City, which they've used in a lot of the supplement materials, haven't they? Oh. You know, the very famous Raccoon map that we referred to for many, many years? Yes. It's actually on the wall just before you go across the suspension bridge. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. I bet that shines up quite nicely on the HD port. It's always, I've always noticed it from back in original day. Back in day. <laughs> back in day, my head. But yeah, I mean, you can see it a little bit better in the in the HD version. And then, yes, obviously, when you go over the suspension bridge, you get your final... No, not quite final, is it? Final, important, truly important one. Yes, yes. Uh, this really annoys me. If you're going for the best ending, surely it makes more sense, you know, narratively, that you want to push Nemesis off the bridge and damage him more. So I just always thought that was the sensible option, you know, dealing out the most damage. But if if you take that option, then obviously you don't get to see the bearded one at the end. This was up for debate, and I suppose a lot of people were saying, does it make more sense that Jill would jump to her safety or she would attempt to push like an eight-foot-tall bioweapon? <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, that's the way I've always looked at it, I think. Jill would have just jumped off the fucking bridge personally. <laughs> yeah. I take George's point though. You know, if you want the best ending, you know, you fight, don't you? But yeah, I get it. It would have been kind of uh, non dramatic if he just fucking jumped down after her and just like crushed her or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe what Jill should have done was pulled the combat knife out and said, Nemesis, prepare to meet Carly in hell and just cut the fucking bridge down. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that would have been awesome. I assume everyone does jump because everyone wants the proper ending. Of course. Of course. What yeah. a burden to meet. I was thinking about which selection gave what ending, and because of that, I missed the thing, and she just jumps off automatically anyway. So. Oh, that's the that's the third option. That, yeah, the yeah. third option. If you don't make a decision, she just jumps down. Does it look different at all, Rob, or is it just literally the same? No, it's the same thing. Same thing. I was thinking, I was taking too much time. I was like, which ending do I actually want? And then I was like... <laughs> The side effect, of course, of doing that is you do get one of the great Carlos scenes uh, as you enter into the dead factory. His accuracy improves significantly and is somehow able to take out a U-shaped zombie assault on you as you wade through the uh, the waterways. But yeah, so the dead factory is it's an interesting place because at first glance it doesn't appear to be anything particularly exciting it's fairly nondescript but appearances can be deceptive and the more you explore the dead factory the more you realize its importance in the overall mythos and then by the end of course you're deep diving into the lore with the appearance of the uh, of the tyrants as well but we'll, we'll obviously get to that what was everyone's um we'll start with stars because i know he encountered the hunter beaters here and had a fateful encounter I think I said on the stream, the hunter beaters are rubbish, and then you were promptly 
decapitated by them. Did I get killed there? You did get killed, yeah, in the... It's one of those areas, yeah, where they, they can stun knock you really, really fucking badly. Like, if you just take the room carefully, and it's a really awkward room because it has that stairwell in it, doesn't it, that you can run down. We're talking about, like, the main treatment where the actual big water tank is. Yeah in the water yeah yeah i mean if you actually t- take that room steady and kill them as they come it, it tends to not be a problem but if you just get a bit a bit too cocky and try and run on ahead they will fucking ruin your day so be said for the um drain demos well, i've been killed by drain demoses there before no sorry the brain suckers mm. and um yeah it can be a really deadly room that can and, and i've seen it even um, ruin one person um on the internet i can't remember which streamer it was but they were doing a speed run and like a no save speed run, and they actually uh, messed up one dodge from one of the hunters and got stun locked to death. Because a lot of speedrunners don't carry things like health because they're not ant- anticipating to get hurt or anything, and uh, just made a grave error. And that was like you know that hour long speed run just completely thrown in the bin through wow. one bit of misjudgment. So I think you can. I mean, I avoided that because if you go back, you can get the the rocket. Is it the rocket launcher key? is hidden so you've got to go back to get yeah and so uh, I think I started that and then I had about four hunter beaters in that room and I just decided to just go the other way I thought no no thank you no thank you (laughs) but yeah you're right it makes I think quite a fitting ending hub area if you like there's quite a lot going on so I was going to say I think it's just visually unappealing but it's actually one of the more interesting Mm. sort of locales and I like I really like the puzzles they put in there actually that's a lovely segue into the puzzles I just I want to do a big shout out to our man Yoke. Hope he's listening. Who uh, quoted this as the most difficult puzzle in the game. And uh, I think it took me two <laughs> attempts and about one minute. One minute, yeah. You absolutely annihilated it. <laughs> Q Yoke's meltdown in the chat. I actually think he rage quit the stream for a few minutes. <laughs> I, I'm going to say again, I'm going to play Devil's Advocate. It's much like the um, puzzle with the different stones um, in the clock tower. You can get a real couple of easy ones and there's some real annoyingly hard versions. Why they made such disparity between them, I don't know. But yeah, there's four different outcomes. I think it's four. At no. least that one has a clear rule set. And yes. It's, it's easy that to is understand. True. It's funny enough, the rule set in that is much clearer than, say, the... Um, oil one in the petrol station which is clear if you pay attention but it's not so obvious and people get much i feel people get much more frustrated with that but because you can kind of hack that open easier people don't seem to notice it as much as this whereas if you screw this one up it's slightly more frustrating i did okay i was about a minute just over a minute but again i think sean's right visually you can see what you need to do and you can adjust accordingly you know so there's there's kind of logic in that i had more difficulties with the blimmin steam puzzle one that wound me up more than anything it's bizarre because that, that's a puzzle that when I you know look at it and I try and think about it when I'm actually stood in the room it doesn't come to me till I actually start doing the switches and then for some reason it again it's like a muscle memory and I remember the sequence in my head and I kind of do it subconsciously then mm. um, I don't get this with any other game in the series in terms of the puzzles and I can only assume it's because in those early years we just had to play it so many times to unlock the epilogues so what could I would be. do is I'd, what I would do is I'd unlock the rocket launcher as quick as I could so I could speed up the subsequent playthroughs get the epilogues unlocked and then just literally blitz through it as quick as I could without even saving you know 
know, just do it all in one go. And so I, the puzzles became quite second nature, more so than probably any other game in the series, to be honest. How did you get on bats with those two puzzles? Yeah, fine. I've never really had any problems with that puzzle. I quite enjoy doing that one, to be honest. In terms of the environment, I think the factory itself is only a disappointment because it's coming off the back of the, the massive lab from Resident Evil 2 and the Arkley Labs, you know, which are both quite iconic. So in comparison, some sort of abandoned rundown plant is going to feel like a bit of a disappointment. But the files make up for it, I think, when it talks about armed guards being employed and that if any civilians wander inside, they'll be captured and used as guinea pigs. And if you examine some of the equipment inside, they mention that it's newly installed and that lines up with some of the files as well. I don't normally bother with the rocket launcher because you don't really need it for the final boss. So uh, I've got it a couple of times, but on this particular playthrough, I just didn't bother because my sort of default is to just let Nikolai fly away in the helicopter. But yeah, I think it's uh, it's not too taxing. I think I had Drain Demos rather than Hunters in the main area where the treatment pool is, and it's quite cool because they actually run about inside the water and tend to ignore. Oh. They tend to ignore you really unless you get too close, and then they'll jump out and attack. But normally they're just sort of swimming around in the toxic waste, which is pretty cool. I do like how it all is so random at times as to what creatures you're going to encounter that really we've spoken about uh, quite extensively actually just you know how many different things we've all encountered that no none of us knew about such as you know, the nemesis on the bus for example it just shows you the replayability of it you can play the game another time and you have a com- I, I didn't even know i thought drain demos weren't even at that stage i thought they were always replaced by brain suckers it, may, it maybe is brain sucker i always get them two mixed up but it was brain suckers have like the tube they've got a tube on their back they've got this kind of quiff Running down their body. Mm. But, you know, I'd agree. The uh, the rocket launcher isn't actually necessary. You do, however, encounter Nikolai once again. Now, you have to forgive me. There's a cutscene here, but when I played through, I only got the, the ricocheting bullets. But I'm sure I'm sure there's another one. You can have a conversation uh, with Nikolai. But is that as if you've pushed the nemesis off? Do you get that conversation? Yeah, you have a conversation in the room outside the treatment room. And uh, Nemesis drags him up through the ceiling and kills him. That was it, yes. That all then leads into arguably the final boss fight with Nemesis. I said not the final boss fight, the final boss fight with Nemesis in a recognisable state, should we say. And that's quite a cool room because you're kind of locked in, you've got a timer going on, you've got to battle him, and you can use some of the environments as well with the kind of toxic waste can be used against him. I was a bit disappointed. I think that fight should have been harder than it was. I'd completely forgotten about it, to be honest. And then I was like, oh my god, oh, this boss fight. I found that a bit easy. And uh, if I say it's easy, then you know, it's not that difficult. Anyone have any problems with this one? No, I think inherently it's quite set out quite easily. And at this point, even if you've got in this part of the game, it's kind of like John was saying, it's like ammunition and stuff, like and Sean as well, actually. It's about focusing on what you've got and usually got lots of ammo and stuff. So It's a shame, really, I think, for this enemy that's been hunting you down the whole game and some of the encounters are extremely challenging that, you know, this one and the last one as well, I found to be the two easiest encounters that you have with him. Yeah, I mean, by this point, all I do is um, load up on freeze rounds and if you just keep pelting him, I mean, I don't even think on the on the stream, I did, did he even move? I think I just stood planted in the same place and just hit him loads of times. His attacks were perfectly timed with, like, the next shot, so I tended to dodge and I think he died in about 15 seconds. It was an embarrassing performance for the, <laughs> like you say, the sort of an ultimate boss. I think it's just the fact that you're locked in that room and there's a timer going on that sort of adds to the panic I suppose but other than that you're right it's easy. Doesn't his head fall off on this one? It can actually happen during the fight I understand. 
Right. I was mm-hmm. watching. Uh, I was watching somebody else do it on um, YouTube the other day, and they were using the the um, valves. Yep. And um, yep. I never bother with the valves, but um, he hit him with two dumps of sewage, and his head actually fell off. And then the boss fight carried on without yes. Nemesis with the head. It was really weird. Yeah. Well, I remember the first time I ever did that. I was like, ah, <laughs> like I <laughs> freaked out. I was like, whoa, because he kept biting. Not a time to lose one's head. One may say. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so that was a bit of a disappointment. I think you do get a nice video of him being flushed down the toilet, basically, don't you? Yeah. Mixing with all the toxic waste, and you know it's not the end. You know it's not the end, but you're thinking, come on. You get the camera angle change, don't you? And you can see the bubbles in the water. Mm. Yes, you can. That's true. That's very good. But I never noticed that. Yes. You also get a lot of nice BOW cameos in the uh, scrap heaps. Yes. This is where I think your HD version is going to shine. You get a couple of um, alligators are in there. You get a couple of ivies. And you get this sort of weird thing, which I'm sure is meant to be a liquor. But it has like a, an odd exposed rib cage and much more pronounced teeth. Oh, I might have to do that bit again just to see what I can see. Or watch your stream again to see how that's interesting. Um, I would like to give a uh, shout-out to Umbrella for their forward planning with their dead factory, knowing that when they employed the voiceover for the Tannoy, they envisaged that one day their city would be destroyed. So (laughs) they were able to... Hi, yeah, can you just say, can everyone please evacuate? Uh, Can you say uh, the nuclear bomb... Uh, this city will be destroyed. I can't remember what she said. But, you know, take a step back and actually listen to what she said. It, it's totally ridiculous that they would have that. I mean, a self-destruct system, fine. Give An emergency benefit, evacuation it? system, she... yeah. Totally yeah. makes sense. But a specific <laughs> event of what's happening, yeah, it is... They did. They anticipated the US military nuking one of its, uh, you know, its civilians. I'm going to play devil's advocate. Maybe Umbrella's just that nefarious that they're all thinking that they may end up nuking it themselves anyway. So, you know, like, basically, <laughs> we're basically now saying that Umbrella had nuclear weapons and therefore one of their contingency plans was always to sterilize the cityscape. Uh, off the planet of the Earth uh, with that bomb, and so they have these in all their facilities. <laughs> Very ridiculous. Uh, Batman, though, is, wasn't it originally Umbrella's doing the nuclear bomb in some script? Um, in the drama albums, apparently it's a collaborative thing that the government and Umbrella destroy the city together, but it was later changed to just uh, the government. Yes. To be fair, I could easily... And this is not to play difficult on this. If they hadn't changed it, I wouldn't have seen that as a bad thing. I just would have seen that as a thing. Like, you can imagine, right? So, say outside of Raccoon City, you've got the US government's caught wind of what's going on, and Umbrella says, yes, we've had this terrorist attack. You know, you know they've got the cover story going, obviously. Someone's released something that we were, we were developing, and uh, we'd like to work with you on how we can plan on controlling the situation. And they have all their, you know, lawyers and busy men and top brass and their cover story and all this stuff going on. And they, they basically say, you know, the US government looks into it and so we, we can't recover it. And they say, well, you know, we can't recover anything else. We've lost all our personnel. And so the government comes to them with this plan and Umbrella says, yeah, we support that. That's the only option. Secretly knowing, obviously, it's going to cover up all their nefarious deeds. I could totally believe that as yeah. if that was the narrative. Would have just as much sense so either way it's not the it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world no it would not it would not it's a good point good point so i suppose once you're in that room and the uh, the voiceover has given her doomed prediction you have one last life selection where you can decide to shoot 
Nikolai in the helicopter or let him be. I will start this off by saying I decided to retaliate, completely forgetting that you actually had to do it yourself. Uh, <laughs> you seem to have a memory that it was automatic. No. I was just going to backtrack. This live selection only happens if you jumped off the bridge too, because obviously if Nikolai dies, you, oh, get a yes. you get a radio call from Carlos saying he's found a helicopter instead of Nikolai calling you and taunting you. So... Yeah, this live selection only appears if you followed that, that yes. line, obviously. Thanks, well, you're absolutely spot on. But yeah, I just assumed it was automatic. I don't know why I had this in my mind, so I decided, because the most obvious one is kind of let him go, I thought, no, no, no we're going we're gonna to retaliate. And, uh, and then the game just took over, and I was like, oh, um, I have no weapon to take down a helicopter, and uh, I was promptly killed <laughs> by, <laughs> by his rockets. I was like, ah. Well, just imagine Nick just very chuffed with his choice, puts the controller down, has a swig of beer, just sat there while Jules just stood doing that. Probably, you know, the rocket launcher tapping on the leg thing while uh, while Nick like, just fucking annihilates uh, and Nick before he even realised. Probably he's probably nonchalantly gone out the room. <laughs> what, what an amazing cutscene um, this is. I don't know why. I have no idea why that was, but I, I didn't have the rocket launcher. I think I was like shot the the shotgun or something, and I was like, does this even work? I have no idea. <laughs> But maybe, I, didn't, I, didn't I don't know. Even... I, I was going to say, maybe you should. Did you have any mines left? Should you try the mine launcher? I've never tried no. that. No. So I uh, came up to the final boss, so I had I had like the magnum. Save, save, yeah, save. Yeah. Magnum, uh, my grenade rounds, or, you know, whatnot. The one that always gets me is if you choose the negotiation option, that he literally just gives up and does fly off. Like, I just. <laughs> it seems so counter to his, you know, everything he's been doing throughout the game. Like, he, yeah. he just. He just leaves you. To, he's like, you're going to die anyway. It's like, it's kind of a bit not in character. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. I assume everyone just negotiates then. Well, I always get the rocket launcher specifically for this scene so that I can then take him out with a. I can't I remember back in the day, I think it was, I can't remember if I used to think this was how you got a particular ending or I thought this was the canon ending. So I kind of always used to do that to get, you know, to make it the canon ending. Ah, okay. I suppose back in day again, when we only had the survivor file to go on, most people People did think it was canon he got away mm. so uh, oh, yeah. I opted to choose the negotiate which is what the community had me do which surprised me I thought they would have me blow him out the sky <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have the rocket a fan of Nikolai I did yeah I'd picked up the rocket launch by the oh, point. Did you get about, okay apologies because yeah, I ended up using I had ended up having four rockets for the nemesis fight you're just a big fan of Nikolai I wanted to see him escape I still Calm like to down, think that... must give me your blood <laughs> he's always been a hugely popular character hasn't he i mean for me i actually prefer him to wesker i think he's probably one of my most favorite antagonists in many ways he's almost like the series boba fett in that he's got one of the yeah. sort of shortest appearances but an absolutely crazy fan following behind him mm. <laughs> i like to say that he wrote the final entry in the survivor file i know the japanese version doesn't have it well i think we discussed this before on another book i think mm. We, we, uh, yeah, we just thought that, you know, whoever the, the translator goes, that's boring. Let's have Nikolai right. But the fact that someone obviously spent the time to connect those two things means that they actually looked into something. Like, it means they actually yeah. gave a crap about the connection between that and another game. Like, I've always put a little bit of weight in behind that idea. I don't like the bastardization of the localizations. It doesn't fit well with me because that's what we grew up on. You know, we knew no better. But there we go. Which leads into possibly the greatest lore dive I think uh, any of the Resident Evil series has really had as we enter the main area of the Dead Factory. And you pick up the file, which should complete your Jill's diary, rock on, about a handy super weapon that can destroy BOWs. And you enter the room and you're greeted with the majesty, the presence, the aura of a super tyrant. 
<laughs> I'm going to interrupt this just before all this happens. If you've been following the right path, then you'll get a little bit of hint that Barry's coming to rescue you too. I just... Yes, yes, sorry, yes, sorry, folks. Yeah, there's a secret scene, isn't there? Oh, hey, yes, what's that? Barry's yeah, transmission. Yeah, transmission, yeah, it's coming from the radio. So, yeah, so, yeah the go out the room with him. Because obviously Carlos turns up and regarding what happened through the Nikolai thing. And, uh, yeah, and then you can get the uh, radio thing with Barry, which is a nice little hint. Yeah, leave the room, come back, you get another transmission with Barry. And, yeah, Carlos is like, who's that? Someone knows you. Yeah, you have to you have to go back to the radio room, George. Yeah. Oh, cool, okay, but, I've never got that. No, cool. great stuff, great stuff. But, yeah, so we did a little hunt on uh, Sean's uh, community stream. And straight away, you know, the, the fact that when they're developing this, they specifically thought about the leftovers of Resident Evil 2 and where the other tyrants have gone. It still remains a quality bit of interrelationships between the two titles, just to see what happens and the power that the rail cannon has. But only one of the tyrants was actually able to mutate or lose its limb to coat. Just shows you the destructive power that it had. Well, the rail yeah. cannon wasn't used, Nick. Wasn't it? It wasn't used on the no. tyrants, no. Oh. The, room, the room is still intact. Oh, sorry. I've just, I assume that they used it, for, certainly for the super tyrant. No, this spec ops team were that good. Wow. I assume that they had got the rail cannon working, which is why it mutated. Obviously, yeah. If the cannon had been used, it would have seen this sort of level of destruction that you see when you do use it. Well, there's a degree of destruction in that room. It's mostly combat. If you look, it's where enemies have landed or smashed into things, as was pointed out at the start of the... When you first oh. see it. Well, it's I have it, more it is deployed, doesn't it? Because it crushes one of the Mr. X's, doesn't it? You can yeah. see it underneath. So, it, I mean... God, the way Operation Raccoon City depicts the rail cannon coming through the fucking skylight is just embarrassing. And its little tripod that it's there. Um. <laughs> well, if you look at the back of it, there's like a, a trap door where it's come through on the rail tracks from underground. And that links to the train tracks that run to the underground lab in Resident Evil 2. And the actual, oh, wow. The actual cannon is this special forces team was obviously sent to extract William Birkin. But because they didn't have proper intelligence of all of Umbrella's facilities, they actually ended up at the dead factory by mistake. And they lost contact with... uh, Well, the government lost contact with them. And the Spec Ops teams just sat there because they had no idea they were in the wrong place. So they just sat there and waited for Birkin to come to them, which obviously was never going to happen. And because the government lost contact with their Special Forces team, they actually tried to bomb Raccoon City about a week earlier than they actually did. And if they'd have done that, then obviously Jill would have been killed. And it was only Umbrella sending in the UBCS that delayed that process because the UBCS were depicted as rescuing civilians and whatever, so therefore the government could never get authorization to bomb the city when people were still alive. And I actually think that's you know that's a really cool little uh, plot mm. point there. And the only reason they restarted the bombing was because by this point Sherry Birkins already been secured. She's got the G-Virus in her and now they desperately try and bomb the city before Umbrella can get their own sample but they're obviously unaware that Hunk's already made it out by this point. So it's a really cool little subplot. Which is probably a good reason also not to have the connection between the US government and Umbrella working together because at this point they're aware of the nefarious situation that's been going on. Yeah, and Umbrella obviously had spies in the US government, which is how they found out about this mission to rescue Birkin in the first place. And they obviously knew that this spec ops team had been hunkered down in the dead factory for about a week, and that's why Sergei deploys the other five tyrants there after dropping one off at the RPD. There's a irony, isn't there, in that Jill's able to survive the city because the UBCS get deployed. Yeah, so if yeah, if the government had followed their original plan, the city would have been destroyed on something like September the 24th. And that means none of the events of Resident Evil 2 or 3 would take place. 
Mm. This is why I miss the popularity of forums as they were in the day, because when we were talking about this room, I remembered, I don't know if, if you're remembering, John, Davey Redfield, who used to run the uh, White Umbrella Brazilian Resident Evil website. And um, I remember him posting a thread in Project Umbrella about this room and the placement of the bodies in this room around the rail cannon and the battle that had ensued. And we're just seeing, you know, the after effects of it. I think there's special forces, aren't they? Bodies lying across this room. There's like four or five of them. I think it might have been you, John. I just remember just reading this post breaking down, just like you were saying there and and this thread and, and, and just the fact that, you know, we're all debating about how those bodies were placed. And I, I remember you mentioning this back then. These pre-rented backgrounds can just provoke this a massive story telling that, that we're doing mm. so where's the source material i don't actually know any of this like i knew bits of it but i think she never gone really that deep into it it's all in the japanese guidebooks in the supplemental sections at the back wow and so karamura that's goes on it on his interviews as well on project umbrella and i think he talks about it in the interview on your site as well george Mm. It is worth saying that I noticed on the stream in the nice HD graphic that um, one of the dead Spec Ops soldiers has one of the M66 rocket launchers. So if you're looking for law law reasons as to how a Spec Ops team takes out tyrants, uh, they did have rocket launcher. There we go, there we go. Uh, how did everyone get on in the final boss fight? It's probably one of the easiest final boss fights, really. Yeah, and just I was just going to quickly say, with again, with the last form of Birkin in Resident Evil 2, I, I don't like it when you get these just massive blobs that just very slowly marauled after you and, and I, I found it it's a shame again you know Nemesis he just puts on an amazing performance throughout the game and these last two battles and particularly this last one are, are, are a bit you know of an anti-climax I'm a bit of a sucker for set piece battles and I quite like the fact that you have to lure him into the path of the railgun you know I like I that and you can speed it up as well I mean if, if you dish a load of damage on him before the first shot fires you can kill him almost straight away yeah, that's really cool as well, yeah. I think I was getting more stressed on your stream, Sean, because I was telling you to hurry up. I was like, you're going to run out of time! <laughs> yeah, and I was like, Nick, I don't know what you're on about. Like, the time is not a factor on this battle. You can literally mess about for ages. Like, any, literally anyone who gets the missile attack, if you're still in, still in gameplay or in a boss fight, you've really, really been dallying. Because <laughs> it must be a good 15 minutes, I would imagine. He'll give us all a lovely tour of the Dead Factory. Like, sure, hurry up! The bomb is coming! <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think I struggled a bit just to get him. It took him a while to, you know, come on this way, this way, this way. He's not the most intelligent BOW at this point. He lost his head. He did. I know, but you, and he you, does you, munch on the tyrant to uh, mutate. You no, know, you laugh about the fact that he lost his head, but that's actually an important point because the reason Nemesis is so intelligent and can follow complex orders compared to previous tyrants is because the Nemesis parasite acts as a second brain, essentially, working in sync with the brain of the original host. But when yeah. the Nemesis loses his head in that battle, is essentially lost one of its two brains and that's when it becomes out of control and it can no longer function as it normally would. It just keeps chasing oh. Jill because that's all it can remember. Yeah, and as Sean said, it absorbs part of the um, of the tyrant as well. There's kind of talk as to whether it's just the parasite at that point has taken over everything. It's hard to tell. Yeah, well, I think it's like an internal battle between them both, but I think the parasite is... Uh, it's basically winning the battle, I think, because the original tyrant's head's been destroyed. And it's just, yeah, it's yeah. just mutated out of all control, hasn't it? So if the head had been retained, obviously when um, you kill Nemesis or defeat Nemesis at the clock tower, w would you assume that's a part of his limiter going off, which is how he's able to grow the tentacle? Yeah, that's why the tentacles get bigger and uh, are less restrained, because half of his coat's broken. Broken off, yeah. yeah I was going to say, even before that, you, you can see any earlier damage before he loses the top part, it starts to, um, yeah, the actual character design, the, you can see the one even on his shoulder is kind of being yeah. locked in place. 
months, and then that's one of the first ones that kind of gets released. Yeah, so it's a really well thought out design, and that's what I was kind of saying even with this final boss fight. I just like the evolution of the design of the creatures. So it, there's a lot of thought in it. Like See, not that there isn't across the board, but especially this. Like I just remember being so blown away by that back, yeah. back in the day. Hey, it's a good thing the wolf pack were there to put in a second parasite, though. Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> careful what you say about that <laughs> people defend this shit honestly <laughs> think of its coat, coat as like a straight jacket essentially to keep T-virus mutation in check the more damage to the coat the more the virus is going to go out of control wise wise words Gee, oh, hang one on, last okay. selection you've got one last major selection Look, yes yes and this, either... this one does have a third outcome yes it does so you can either evacuate or you can uh, conveniently do a side roll and pick up a magnum that you could have probably done with earlier on in the game and the, deliver the, the lines. Zero are very similar in that there's just a, a magnum lying on the floor. I was going to say there's a lot of magnums just lying around at the end of these games, <laughs> isn't there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please put it in perspective. There was a there was the Spec Ops team. Obviously, they're mm. heavily weaponized. Yeah. Someone's guns obviously yeah. been dropped when they've been hit at some point. If you chose to exterminate the monster like the community did with me, um, you do get Jill doing an amazing RoboCop style walk as she's uh, blasting it a bit. <laughs> She does. Yeah, that is, that is cool. Non-blinking, just like, yeah, Robocop or Terminator-esque. The first time you played it, did everyone must have shouted out a kind of, yeah! Well, uh, <laughs> she's like, you want stars, I'll give you stars. I mean, it's, it's such a corny, people, brilliant people it's corny as, but it's so brilliantly corny. Like it's so yeah. like you you look at it and go, that is that is it, awesome. It's an Arnold eighties line, isn't it? It is. It totally is, and it totally works. <laughs> It's McBain, um, isn't it? It's ice to see you type <laughs> quality. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's well, yeah, it's Schwar- Schwarzenegger and Batman and Robin. Like. Yeah. Third outcome is if you choose to do nothing, the nemesis will actually kill you. Oh, oh, is it ki- which is I've it- never seen, actually, I must admit, but I was told about it on the stream. She doesn't, I've never she seen she doesn't it. kill him, it, she it, poisons it, it, him. It, yeah, it doesn't mm-hmm. kill you. You take, to take damage, you stick it on the left, yeah. Oh, right, okay, I'll have to look it up. I think he yeah he, he fires some corrosive fluid that poisons you, but because yeah. you're so close take, to the end, it doesn't really make any difference. Yeah, you take damage, uh, and then yeah, it's almost like his version of the of what she does. <laughs> One last like kiss off. <laughs> this this is a question once in the quiz as to whether that counts as the fourth mutation of the nemesis or whether it was just the kind of remnants of the third mutation. But there we go. The interesting thing about this whole thing is that, like you put it in the perspective of like. This is kind of like before the American community, you know, the when I say American, like the Western community knew about a lot to do with the limited codes and stuff. You go back to Resident Evil 2, when the tyrant came out of the lava, everyone just assumed it mutated because of the heat and the lava, right? The, the molten metal. So the other thing that does factor into Nemesis is obviously this mutation is done by somewhat of the parasite and the changes, but also keep falling off. We talked about and stuff, the, the, uh, the kind of, toxic sewage in the factory has done a certain level of mutation essentially and there was always that argument back in my head back in the day was this part of the mutation because of the materials it had been in like not just because it had mutated because it was going to if this happened anyway but because it had been in these gross unknown material yeah it had to be i don't know if that's the answer or not you see and that's again why you kind of on that same line is it is it a mutation because of its form and and or is it because of partly what it's been in Mm. cool so once you have uh, endured the nemesis for one final time you are then rescued by the beard himself mr barry (laughs) person the voice actor for barry do we know who that was oh crikey 
it'll likely be yeah. just another one of the characters' voice actors, I bet, just filling in some lines. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I still think that ending, the overall ending, is one of the best in the, the series. The the music, the voice, the kind of news narration, that feeling of abject failure. It's, you, it's quite you, sad, you, it's quite downbeat. Well, you get the upbeat with Jill, but yeah, that sort of narration is quite sad and downbeat. I remember just thinking after we've spent so many, you know, real life years in these yeah. locations that to actually see the RPD like be blown to obliteration was just like quite a nostalgic yeah. moment. You know, yeah. I was thinking, you know, yeah. shit. Like when we did the series playthrough, John, it's amazing how much this moment when you're playing through the games and obviously you've had all the outbreak episodes and everything up to now. This really does feel like a game-changing moment for the series, as it should, because it informs so much of the story that comes later, even all the way up to like Resident Evil Six. Absolutely, the, yeah. There's a reason why Raccoon City is seen as like the catalyst for everything that came after, because it it truly was, and you really get that when you play um, a series playthrough in the chronological order. It, you know, if there is a hub for the series in terms of its storyline, it's Raccoon City, yeah. and I think nothing hits that home harder than the ending of Resident Evil 3. What's interesting about that to me as yes. well is the, is the idea that, you know, they could have made the conscious decision not to destroy the city, in a, not in a narrative sense, because they could still do it eventually, but more of a gameplay mechanic because they could have left this open and had other stories. But they made made the decision narratively at the time to, to show the destruction of the city as quite an important event. I think partly because obviously they knew where they were going with the story slightly down the track with Code Veronica already at the point. But it's a that's a big choice, you know, to to say it's such a been such a huge part of the three games that had come out of that point to actually destroy it. That must have not been an easy decision to make from maybe Capcom production management, or it was completely opposite, and it was very easy to, to make that decision to close that chapter. I'm not sure, but it's it seems because of the how the, the scope of it, and unfortunately, in, in retrospect as well, in hindsight, like the, the fact they have to keep going back to the well occasionally, you know, like we get remakes, we get you know, Operation Raccoon City and all that sort of stuff, because the, because exactly the same thing you've just been saying, how important the the actual events are to the thing and the outbreak and all as well. I forgot that. Yeah, it's just because it's such a major event. Once you've done it, it's kind of hard to have other Raccoon Cities, and we've talked about this before as well, about the sense of escalation global thing you know they're always referred to as like raccoon city the events of raccoon city because I mean, they're so important if there's any criticism i've got for the series in the in the years since is that things like terra grigia are every bit as like devastating as what happened in raccoon but they're not you know because obviously they're retroactively inserted in between other titles you could argue that there is sort not like plot holes as such but there's like an inconsistency with these events you know, you can't look at something like Terra Grigia and, and not think that what happened there was absolutely awful in terms of, like, life lost and, um, you know, devastation. The sense of scales out of wet because, unlike Raccoon City, you didn't get to experience it as much or mm. as, as first-hand, almost, I want to say, because you've experienced it through these characters and through the events. So there's a bit of a disconnect to then what you get shown, you know, or told. That's probably the biggest problem with this. Not to say you're completely right that the, these events are potentially as bad or if not worse. Um, they're just not portrayed the same because we didn't have the same sort of level of experience. Yeah. That I always say we should have another game in Terra Grigia. Yeah, and I, I don't hold that against the series. You, you, but it's just something you have to live with whenever you have these issues of retro, you know, inserting titles into timelines mm. when they but depict the same- events just as big. 
and the same the same thing again with Resident Evil Six, for example. You know, not the Tall Oaks thing is is the same thing. It's obviously a huge scale thing, and they do even compare it to Raccoon City, but it's got that sense of a city that's been taken over by an outbreak, and it's totally understandable. And the only thing that adds any more weight to that is the fact that you've got Leon, and you're you're able to connect that directly with how the events were that you've played in Resident Evil 2 and that's the only thing that really gives that any major weight I feel but again it's still rely on your experience or history of and knowledge of the Wrecking City event well thank you for that I think that was really uh, interesting to obviously compare the, the, the long term effects of Wrecking to, to the other series but let's try and conclude then how how has 20 years of Resident Evil 3 changed people's opinion on the game we've discussed at length the um, the number of uh, obscurities, hidden messages, FMVs, sequences that none of us knew about. But this game is 20 years old, and yet we're still making discoveries. Where does this play through for this podcast sit in terms of your overall feelings towards this game, uh, Batman? Well, I enjoyed it. I mean, I looked at it with fresh eyes, really, because as I said earlier, I didn't really... Well, I didn't not enjoy the Resident Evil 2 one, but it was spoiled somewhat because of the graphical problems. So this HD thing really helped me look at the game with fresh eyes, and I enjoyed it as much as I used to when it first came out. And I think I did say this on the previous podcast, this isn't my favourite Resident Evil game, but it's probably the Resident Evil game I've played the most, because it's so easy to pick up and play. You know, it's fun to play, it's got good atmosphere, it's got everything you'd want out of a classic Resident Evil game. I've always looked upon this game very fondly and uh, I've enjoyed it just as much playing through it now as, as I did do 20 years ago, really. Classic, yeah. Uh, from, a, yeah. from a personal point of view, it's been an absolute pleasure replaying this game. As I said uh, about the kind of park sequence, the, the audio has significantly improved my experience of playing it, having played it on a rubbishy TV. It's now enhanced it enormously and I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed this uh, replay and discovered so much more thanks to what everyone was discussing this podcast. I think it's been a really worthwhile experience. What about you, Rob? Yeah, I, I, it's been a long time since I replayed it, and I, I think the easiest thing to say is I actually just had fun. I forgot that it's actually an enjoyable gameplay experience. Like I've always enjoyed the series, but I remember when it came out, I had this massive, you know, I was just starting properly my actual website massive obligation to actually you know covering it i remember getting a copy of the japanese version of the game and i enjoyed it but it was one of those things that was slightly tinged at the time i think by the fact that it was like everyone was rushing to talk about it and all this stuff and i and i enjoyed it and i had this experience of it but i never really put it in any real perspective and to to go back through now after 20 years and actually just remember like what i did the first time what i've enjoyed what i've forgotten what i you know and i've you know the, the core simple thing is they just ended up having fun replaying it it's, re- it's really great. There's so many hidden things. There's so many little back and forth secrets, and obviously the multiple things they put into to help the replay, the selection, the way things get slightly randomized. I, you know, even the placement of items and stuff. It's a, it's a very well designed and very well thought out game. Especially in one of the things we haven't talked about, and how quickly the whole thing was put together. Like that's one of the things that's really impressive about this. Is it was not a long development time on this. It wasn't even intended to be a, a fully fledged mainline franchise title to begin with. So a lot of credit to the team that put it together as well back at, back at Capcom in the 90s. Was it originally going to be called 1.9? The, the, yes. the development code was 1.9, and I think it was going to be just a side story, essentially. If you called it Last Escape, it just would have been Biohazard Last Escape or Biohazard Resident Evil Nemesis. It wouldn't have had three 
attached to it. If I remember correctly, internally, Code Veronica was looked as the next actual proper yeah. threat. Uh, George Trevor, kind of concluding comments on replaying this? Uh... Yeah, I think, I think just about what Rombie was saying, and I think there's many occasions in Capcom's timeline where, you know, the simple or kind of the constrained ends up with them producing the better game. And yeah, Resident Evil 2 had the bigger impact, obviously, because of everything that it was doing for the first time. But in every conceivable way, gameplay, mechanics, the textures, the narrative, the files, Resident Evil 3 for me is just the superior in, in all those factors. And it is, it's very enjoyable. And one thing for me taking away from this playthrough is just how many new and additional things that we're discovering 20 years on. And that's just incredible testament to the depth of the design of this game. And um, I've played it so many times and still new things that we're discovering. Final thoughts from Star Tarrant? Well, I mean, I'll echo what John said, and I think everybody saw it on the stream, that the, the work that's been done to the HD project is unprecedented. And if anything, you know, the game looks better than it did back in the day. I've always been someone who holds up two in opposition to GT, I'm sorry, two as being the better game. And I, and I think the initial sort of hour or so of three is definitely treading down a path we've already walked down. But certainly by the time you get to the clock tower, I think it skyrockets in its own direction and is all the better for it. I really, really think, and I've played the HD version a few times now, the game is exquisite as it always has been. It's the best playing of all the camera angle Resident Evils by a mile, even including Outbreak and things like that. The controls in the gameplay are so tight. It's such a delight to replay over and over again. And I really just think, and if you it's fitting you've left me to make that final point because I just think with the HD project now, I'm absolutely not interested in a remake whatsoever. I just don't want to see it. Just not interested because Capcom have with the HD project a version of the game that they could package and release. I've echoed John's thoughts in the past that I think the remake of this game, the inevitable one that we must know is surely in production, mm. is going to be a very different game to the game that we've all played collectively here. Mm. Um, and so that kind of fills me with a little bit of dread because I didn't like the departures that the two remake took. And I just think with, you know, almost carte blanche freedom that they would have with this one because it is so much more self-contained and indeed characters like Carlos haven't turned up again and Nikolai hasn't turned up again should he have survived the events of this game it just means Capcom can go crazy and I'm not sure that I'm comfortable with that given the devastation that's been occurred upon the fan base in the wake of Remake 2 and obviously stuff we're still feeling with Project Resistance it's only going to be even more so with Remake 3 and when you've already got the definitive version of the game which is the HD project you know I have to echo something I said like three years ago be careful what you wish for people because Resident (laughs) Evil 3 is a really special title it's really really good Thank you, Sean. I can totally understand that too when you look at the perspective of the way the city is portrayed. The little bit we get to see at the start of Resident Evil 2 as opposed to the city that exists in this game and how different that alone is going to be, let alone all the characterizations and everything that Sean is completely right about. Like, just the character that is Raccoon City is already very different in Resident Evil 2 Remake. I can can understand that. Well, thank you, uh, gentlemen. That finishes our Resident Evil 3 retrospective playthrough. Significantly longer than perhaps anticipated uh, and much longer than our Resident Evil 2 one uh, oddly but then because there's so many different choices as we've discussed so many different options and variabilities that occur in this game it's actually turned into a far more meatier discussion than perhaps envisaged but uh, just because it's a long podcast doesn't mean we haven't got time for Neptune's Biohazard Quiz The Quiz A test of knowledge especially as a competition between individuals or teams as a form of entertainment 
usually hosted by a quiz master. Can I just ask if you had all of these uh, questions independently verified? He doesn't even know the general knowledge stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Why is this my quiz master? I've done every one of these quizzes. <laughs> I think well, we look, should be. I think we should get another question, John. Don't you? Already fallen into control. Already fallen into. Yeah, well, that, that's to be expected. I'm, I'm once again Nick is at the centre of that controversy. <laughs> Absolutely. This is Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. So welcome now to this podcast edition of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. As one may have expected, it is Resident Evil 3 based, and thanks to Rob, we've had to have a last minute change of question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's fine, that's fine. It's not my fault I know a piece of trivia that's just trivia. I was thinking of it more because of the bus being related to the movie. It's a piece of movie trivia to me. But thankfully the internet exists, and I can uh, make swift changes so with that if everyone is able to clear their desktops you can open a notepad we have five questions let's go so this question one this is the change question how long was the mercenaries training before being deployed to raccoon city how long was their training prior there's mercenaries diary it says he was training for x period of time before being deployed Question number two. This is a bit easier because last last podcast quiz was considered to be a bit tricky, so it made it a bit easier. Where do you find the clues to complete the music box puzzle in the clock tower? Hmm. That's a good question. Question number three. Which Michael Jackson album is immortalised in graffiti in Raccoon oh, yeah. City? <laughs> oh, so I almost killed two questions. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, very good. Question number four. What numbered capsule is closest to the super tyrant seen in the dead factory? One angle that shows the number. And finally, question number five. On what day is Raccoon City wiped off... No, only kidding. It's October 1st. (laughs) (laughs) That's a podcast. (laughs) Okay, so Mm. the actual question is this. Two possible answers. What is the name of the pet shop seen next to the garage? <laughs> so there are the five questions. Join us after this when we'll run through those answers. The most intense. The most horrifying. It's in your blood. Resident Evil 3, Nemesis. The nightmare continues, only from Capcom. 
So welcome back to Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. Let's see how everyone has got on. So question number one was, how long was the mercenaries training before being deployed to Raccoon City? George Trevor, we'll start with you. I don't know, it's a guess. We trained three months. Three months? Yeah, I'm guessing. I've got no idea. Okay, Sars Six, I believe. Six months. Uh, Rumby? I have six months. Batman? Yes, six months. My body's edge has returned or something. It is six months, so good guess, George, but not quite points to all except George. Question number two. Where do you find the clues to complete the music box puzzle in the clock tower? Star Star? That's a good question. We've got to find the little music boxes around the clock tower. I've got a feeling there is something like three in the main hall. There's one in the library, one in the clock tower, and I think one in the... I have no idea. I've completely watched this. I have no idea. Oh, I don't know. That's pretty good. Uh, Rumby? I have no idea. I've always just done it by pissing around with the sounds. <laughs> so I've never really paid much attention. George Trevor? Um, in that kind of main hall in the clock tower, it, it slightly resembles the main hall of the Spencer Mansion because you've got two music boxes in the corners, I thought. Okay. So I'm just saying there's two, and they're in either corner opposite each other in, the, in that main hall. Batman? Yeah, I'm with George. I just thought there was two out-of-tune music boxes at the back of the staircase, one on either side. Is correct. Yes. As far as I know, and I was, I was, but I'll be honest, I was panicking when stars went off to the detailed rant. I, I assume there's only two <laughs> in the main hall. I've never used the music boxes. I am very fortunate to be able to tell when I'm doing them. And I thought because it goes to A to F, I thought there was six music boxes around the clock tower for some reason. Uh, just the two, as far as I know. So points to Batman and George. I was going to say this is at the same because I was like, I never knew that there was. The, I knew that those those out of tune music boxes but I've never I've just assumed that they were just supposed to be red hearings so I just went oh yep cool whatever Oh. They're just off key tune, so I just went, all right, cord, just do the puzzle. Yeah. There you go, living there. there. There we go. Question number three Which Michael Jackson album is immortalised in graffiti in Raccoon City? Batman. Um, I don't know this one, I'll have to guess. Thriller. A logical guess. A logical guess. George Trevor. Because I thought it was a Sophie Ellis Bexter song. <laughs> yeah. I think I might have the first bit wrong. Is it Blood on the Dance? Which I thought was a Sophie Ellis Bexter song, but obviously that kind of doesn't get with the time. <laughs> timeline of when the game came out but blood on the dance floor down the dance floor starts turn uh, i had no idea i was going to go with thriller okay uh Rumby. now george has got me confused i i was thinking off the wall for some reason and now i'm thinking that it was blood on the dance floor an actual album and he's confusing me further because i know he's thinking of murder on the dance floor oh, so if it's back, yeah, yeah. oh yeah. yeah i'm going off the wall points to george trevor it's blood on the dance yes! floor <laughs> I knew it, but that's not a Michael. It is. Or is it? it, it oh, I'm, okay. I'm a is huge. Is it an Jackson. album or is it just a song? No, it's 1997. It's Blood on the Dance Floor, History in the Mix. It has five new songs. Ghosts. Is it? Is it it's an EP. Yeah, it's an EP. EP yeah, yeah. It, it's album. actually it's that's not an album. No, no, it's an album. Oh, don't take my points away. <laughs> it is an album. <laughs> no, no, I'm George. You're, you're, you're getting the points. I'm talking. I'm <laughs> It is an album. Yeah, yeah. album. It's the biggest selling remix <laughs> album of all time. That is in the basketball court. Yeah. Question number four. So what numbered capsule is the closest to the super tyrant seen in the Dead Factory? George, did you know? No. You got, um, thank God I'm so obsessed with the pre-rendered backgrounds. Otherwise I'd be getting zero because uh, I've got no, this one. I've got no idea. Number, you going to guess a number? Number three. Rombie? No idea. I'm two. Two. Uh, Stars tyrant? You I should believe it's three. Uh, Batman, back to you. I said number five. It's just a guess. Points to stars and GT. It is three. Oh, wow. Mine was just a guess. 
Because I said, what a ridiculous question. Where would you even see the numbers? There's one angle you can see. Bloody you hell. can see the close up of the super tyrant. And finally, question number five: What is the name of the pet shop seen next to the garage slash post office? As I said, I'm not quite sure of the answer because my graphics aren't as good as they ought to be. So um, I'll probably accept two. <laughs> You'll see what I mean. You'll see what I mean. So, uh, Rob, did you know this one? Uh, Eagles. Yeah, you going for Eagles pet shop? GT. Yeah, I I, I know this because I've got huskies and I'm I'm obsessed with the backgrounds. Uh, so it's Eagles. Batman. Eagles does ring a bell now you mention it, but I have to be honest, I didn't know that before Rob said it. it annoyingly, I know where the bloody pet shop is. I just can't remember <laughs> fucking names. <laughs> Stars Tarrant. I had no idea. The answer is Eagles pet shop. Very good, what, George. What was your alternative, Nick? I'm very curious to. Kegels, because it looks a bit like a K. <laughs> <laughs> I would have taken Kegels. Kegels. Yeah. Does it have a wizard hat on it? <laughs> <laughs> so have have a check on the HD stream. I'm sure it's a beautiful E, but it look it on my version it was uh, is that a K or an E? It looks like anyway, it? Next to the garage as you come out you, of the you come out the back of the garage and you can see a dog bone hanging from the uh, yeah. from the side above the car and there's a sign, very uh, large neon sign have a look and whilst you're doing that let's have a look at the scores wow what a score line we have here stars rombi batman all finished on two apiece but this week's winner yeah <laughs> I can. I got lucky with the with the capsule, but I've never won one yet, GT. So well, well yes, won. you have. I've never won one before. This is by far my the most points I've ever got, and it's a four out of five for George Trevor. So congratulations, George. That's uh, mighty, you, mightily impressive. In terms of knowledge, really, it was only three out of five because that, that was a complete guess. The number three capsule. <laughs> no. Just say, can we please have more questions about the pre-rendered background so I look like I know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Very clearly, Eagles in the HD. Is it? Oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah. So, oh, cool. so uh, that concludes another eventful Neptune's Biohazard quiz. Join us next time when we'll have some more brilliant questions. Wow, folks, what a marathon podcast that was. Yeah. Over one very lengthy podcast. We have dissected everything there is to do with Resident Evil 3. I hope you've uh, had fun listening to it. I mean, I've certainly learned loads of new stuff that I didn't even know. And obviously, you know, what everyone's personal encounters were and lots of tidbits and lore tidbits uh, filtered throughout. So uh, what a wonderful way to celebrate 20 years of Resident Evil 3. Next up, folks, Code Veronica. That's 20 years old in January. So we're all looking forward to that, aren't we, Batman? (laughs) Not available. (laughs) (laughs) All joking aside, I think that we really do need to kind of just kind of get John to find something in that. Well, this could be our mission. This is our mission. Yeah, because again, I don't understand all the stuff that I love. I hear John talking about that he loves in other, you know, in the other games. You don't like the backtracking, do you? And you think it looks dull. It's just the blandness of it. And I don't think the story's anywhere near as good as what other people make out. And I... I hate that intro sequence. It's terrible. <laughs> well, we'll be mm. doing our retrospective. That I've so. got so much. I'm sure Sean as well has. I got so much to promise that. But yeah, no, I've got to keep quiet for the podcast. Yeah. Get, get <laughs> your well, spoiler. Get... Um, I still love it. <laughs> <laughs> there is one of my favourites. So uh, there yeah. we go. Get replaying now. 
It's going to turn into Umbrella Corps. That's <laughs> just that's what makes this series fascinating because, like, GT and I are aligned in like when it comes to Code Veronica, but when we talk Resident Evil Five, the allegiance yeah. just completely switch, and I'm now stood alongside John, and I know you pretty much detest Five for many reasons, GT. So it's, yeah. it's funny how it all works out, how we yeah. all like different things. That won't be till the new year, possibly a new season of the Project Umbrella podcast. But next up, we'll hopefully be doing a little Christmas special uh, which ought to be fun so keep your eyes open for that but again I'd like to thank everyone for listening and your ongoing and continued support for the podcast if you haven't done so already you can join our discord uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and yeah come and come and join the chat all good stuff all good stuff so on that note it is goodbye for me Neptune goodbye from me Batman <laughs> goodbye from me Stars Tyrant it's goodbye from me Romby and it's goodbye from me George Trevor And now we have a rather unfortunate turn of events. It seems that the President and the Federal Council have passed judgment over the civilians of Raccoon City. The President and Federal Council have ruled that the Backless Terminate operation is the best course of action for this extreme situation and have since executed. Based on that fact, Raccoon City has been literally wiped off the map. Current reports have the death toll surpassing the 100,000 mark. Our hearts go out to those poor civilians of Raccoon City. It's murder on the dance floor. But you better not kill the groom. DJ, gonna burn this goddamn house right down.